Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. Yakima County in rural Washington has the most COVID-19 cases per capita among West Coast states. Those cases originate from two hotspots, long-term care facilities and agriculture. Apples and cherries are a large part of Yakima's economy. Northwest Public Broadcasting's Enrique Perez de la Rosa reports on how farm workers and their employers are being affected. On May 30th, David Cruz died of COVID-19 before he could finish retiling the roof of his home. He only replaced about a quarter of the old, darkened tiles with clean green ones. His wife, Reina, says he was a hard worker, taking on projects at home after logging long hours at Allen Brothers Fruit. He built boxes for apples at the end of the packing line there for over 10 years. He always, the entire, he never missed a job. He never. Sometimes he feeling sick. I told him to stay, and he said, no, I'm going. Long before David got sick, when the pandemic first came to Yakima in March, Reina says he started to reconsider going to work. Co-workers started getting sick. He told me, I'm scared to go to work. They said, if you're scared, you stay. You stay in the house. You're not going. Forget about the bills. In Yakima, agriculture employs about a third of the workforce. Most of those farm workers are Latino. Allen Brothers CEO Miles Cole says his company is doing all it can to keep workers safe, but farm workers everywhere are still at risk. I wish the American public could appreciate that the agricultural community, that workforce, is continuing to work, putting themselves out in environment by just being out of the home where they have a higher likelihood of having an exposure. Because of that likelihood, hundreds of farm workers went on strike for weeks this spring at seven of Yakima's fruit packing facilities. They demanded more protections against the virus and hazard pay. David Cruz died while the strikes were ongoing, and workers took note. Striking workers have placed altars in his honor in front of Allen Brothers and offices for health and labor agencies. Farmworker union Familias Unidas por la Justicia has helped organize the worker strikes. Edgar Franks is their political director. He says weak emergency rules for agriculture have broader consequences for Yakima. If there's nothing is being done to protect these workers, it has the potential to crash the whole economy, along with causing a health crisis. The state of Washington has issued safety guidelines for fruit packing facilities, telling employers to hand out masks and install plastic dividers between workers, but how these facilities implement them can vary. John Devaney is president of the Washington State Tree Fruit Association. He says each plant faces its own challenges. Some already have made transitions to 
more automated processes, so they already have fewer staff on their lines. Others have had more difficulty making those adjustments, and everyone has struggled to get enough personal protective equipment. Some Yakima companies like Allen Brothers, where David Cruz worked, are also asking the Yakima Health District for feedback on safety measures they've put in place. But health officer Dr. Teresa Everson says other companies are refusing to let health experts in for inspections or testing of employees. Which is incredibly frustrating as a public health official. At some point, we are going to need to have consequences for employers who choose to turn a blind eye on an outbreak that they may have in their facility. The essential workforce here is much bigger than in other places, about 63% of workers. That's a lot of people potentially exposed to the virus who could take it to neighboring counties. For NPR News, I'm Enrique Perez de la Rosa in Yakima County. The world anxiously awaits the development of a COVID-19 vaccine. New and controversial measures are being considered for the first time. Amna Navaz reports on a growing group of young volunteers eager to be subjects in tests that might help the world move forward, despite the personal risks. Sean Doyle is a 31-year-old medical student at Emory University. He's also one of the first Americans to test a possible vaccine for COVID-19. If my participation in this vaccine trial can help in any way um, and eventually, you know, ensure that it's not infecting people in the U.S. anymore and other places, um, then it would be a great thing to participate in. He knows the risks are still unknown, but he's had to weigh them before. A few years ago, he took part in another vaccine trial, that one for Ebola. It made me a lot more confident that this was a good choice and the potential benefits were probably going to far outweigh the risks. Doyle is taking part in a traditional clinical trial, a process that usually unfolds in three phases. First, small groups receive the test vaccine to test for its basic safety. The study is then expanded to include target groups for the vaccine before it's then given to thousands more who then go back to their daily lives to see how well it protects them from the disease. That process relies on people getting accidentally exposed to the virus and can often take months or years, leading health experts to warn that the best-case scenario for a COVID-19 vaccine could be a long way off. Although this is the fastest we have ever gone from a sequence of a virus to a trial, it still would not be any applicable to the epidemic unless we really wait about a year to a year and a half. The urgency to find a vaccine has led to concerns that those traditional clinical trials that are already underway aren't moving quickly enough. And there's now growing calls to begin another, more controversial kind of trial. They're called human challenge trials. And if they move forward, it would mean a smaller group of volunteers would be given a vaccine and then deliberately infected with COVID-19 to quickly test if the vaccine works. Challenge studies fill a really critical gap there. Seema Shah, a bioethicist at Northwestern University, says the real value of human challenge trials is their speed. So you can take two groups of people, randomize one to receive a vaccine, the other to receive placebo, and then expose them to the virus. And if you see a difference between those two groups, you know very quickly what, uh, whether that vaccine worked. Now, up until this point, human challenge trials have only been used with diseases like malaria or a typhoid fever, curable if the vaccine fails. 
with COVID-19, there is no cure. Challenge trials have a lot of promise and potential, but we have to be sure that they're going to realize that potential and that we can manage the risks appropriately. A recent study published in the Journal of Infectious Diseases also says that human challenge trials could have the potential to accelerate a coronavirus vaccine. And a group of over 30 members of Congress has urged the federal government to consider using human challenge trials, likening the fight against the pandemic to war, in which, quote, there's a long tradition of volunteers risking their health and lives to help save the lives of others. If I had to guess, I'd say two weeks. That chance to help save lives is what led 34-year-old New Yorker Josh Morrison to look into the trials. You know, firstly, I thought it seemed like a good idea to explore. It's, it's something that could make a significant difference. After becoming a kidney donor in 2011, Morrison left his corporate law job and launched a nonprofit to make donation easier. Last month, he launched a new nonprofit called One Day Sooner, signing up volunteers for a possible human challenge trial for COVID-19. There's a real benefit to feeling like to, to being able to to take one step that's that's you know useful or potentially useful, um, and I think that um, helps with kind of coping with um, this really terrible disease and terrible situation we're in right now. Over the last few months, his list has steadily grown. Today, more than 28,000 volunteers, mostly in their 20s and 30s, have signed up from more than 100 countries. To be deliberately infected with a deadly virus? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, Did that so, surprise you? You know, I, I always felt like if challenge trials do go forward, I always did feel like there would be more than enough people um, who would be eligible to do it, who would want to do it. 31-year-old Lehua Gray of Austin, Texas, is one of those volunteers who thinks the risks are worth it. She signed up with her parents in mind. My mom works for the VA and my dad works for the TSA. So they're basically like on the front lines every single day and they're both essential. So for me, if, if I could take some of the risk off of them and, and put it onto myself since I'm young and healthy and, and you know, they're much more high risk, um, like that's, that's a no-brainer. 23-year-old Lena Jeweler also signed up. She's a master's student at Johns Hopkins University School of Public Health finding a vaccine faster and a safe vaccine faster, an effective vaccine faster has so many benefits attributed to it, not just, you know, lives saved, but uh, being able to socially interact in ways that we haven't been able to in the past month and a half and perhaps won't be able to again until there's a vaccine. But Dr. Mike Levine, who's worked on vaccine development since the late 1960s, including more than 100 challenge trials for diseases like cholera and dysentery, is skeptical. If someone in your family came to you right now and said, I think I want to volunteer for this trial, what would you say? I would say right now, I would recommend not. Levine argues the time it would take to safely set up the first human challenge trials for coronavirus might not actually be faster than the clinical trials already underway. And if the human challenge trials only include young, healthy people, there's no guarantee a vaccine would help the most vulnerable. This would be very complicated. This is not a walk in the park. If we had a vaccine that worked only in young adults, um, that would be helpful if it didn't work, and it's possible, if it didn't work in protecting the elderly, they may have to spend the rest of their, their you know, lives till COVID transmission diminishes in a degree of seclusion. 
Still, Seema Shah has been working with the World Health Organization to develop the ethical criteria that need to be met if experts decide to move forward on a COVID-19 human challenge trial. Researchers have to know this is worth doing, and they have to make a solid case about that. And given everything that's happening, right now that's a difficult case to make, but it's, it's not out of the question. I just think that if we're going to do something like this and expose people to risk in a way that we haven't really done in challenge studies in the past, it's really important to do it in a way that we know will move the needle. And maybe move one step closer to ending the COVID-19 pandemic. For the PBS NewsHour, I'm Amna Nawaz. The last thing I wanted to say is it's kind of ridiculous, the, the mask, wearing masks. Um, it makes it to where I don't really want to say hi to people when they're wearing masks. And, you know, I, I go about my day, I, I say hi to, to people um, uh, every now and then or a lot sometimes. But I don't want to talk to anybody with a mask. And it, it makes it to where I don't know, you know, if people are going to do a crime. I don't think, you know, but it's. Now everybody has a mask on, but it's really ridiculous. And they weren't wearing a mask when everybody can see the chemtrails, but nobody can see this COVID-19. But, you know, whatever. Okay, thank you. A lot of people are asking the question we are about to tackle in this next story. Is all this mask wearing really helping to curb the spread of coronavirus? NPR's Maria Godoy set out to answer that question. So states are opening up and more and more we're seeing people out and about without masks on. But folks, there is still a pandemic out there, and every expert I've spoken with says masks can help. It's very powerful as a tool to control the virus. Jeffrey Shaman is a researcher and epidemiologist at Columbia University. I personally think that face masks are a key component of the non-pharmaceutical arsenal we have to combat COVID-19. Now, it's understandable if some people remain skeptical since, at the beginning of the pandemic, public health officials in the U.S. said that general public didn't need masks. But that changed as it became clear that infected people can spread the coronavirus before they even show symptoms of COVID-19, or even if they never show symptoms. Lindsay Marr of Virginia Tech studies the airborne transmission of viruses. She says people can spread the virus even if they're just talking. If you're talking, when things are coming out of your mouth, they're coming out fast and they're going to slam into the cloth mask. I think even a low-quality mask can block a lot of those droplets. Marr points to one study that looked at people infected with the flu and seasonal coronaviruses. It found that even loose-fitting surgical masks blocked almost all the contagious droplets they breathed out. A study published just last week found that if the majority of people wore face masks in public, that could dramatically reduce transmission of the virus. Now, researchers will tell you that masks don't provide foolproof protection, and teasing out the science of masks will take time. But Lindsay Marr says there's enough evidence already to say that, combined with measures like social distancing, masks really do help. You know, I would be comfortable sending my kids back to school if everyone's wearing masks and they're staying as far apart as possible. The World Health Organization agrees. Earlier this month, the WHO changed its advice on masks. It now recommends that healthy people wear cloth masks in public, especially when they can't maintain social distance. Epidemiologist Mei Chu helped craft the WHO's new mask guidance. What we found was that you need to have several layers, and each of these layers can give you protection. Chu says a good option is a multi-layer mask with a pocket. The inner and outer layer should be made of a tight woven fabric. Cotton works well. 
In the pocket, use a filter, preferably a double layer of a material called polypropylene. If you go to Walmart, look for Oli Fun, which is the brand name of that fabric. That's spelled O L Y F U N. If you're taking notes, Chu says the fabric is great as a filter, but it has another benefit. It holds an electrostatic charge that can trap infectious droplets coming into or out of a mask. Another good option. Take two sheets of tissue paper, fold them over, and put them inside your mask. The four layers of paper gives you adequate protection. Shape also matters. Masks that are cupped to fit tight to your face and those with pleats or folds both do a better job of filtering air than masks with flat fronts. And avoid masks with a valve in the front. That valve lets unfiltered air out, so it won't protect other people if you're contagious. And after all, protecting others is one of the main reasons to wear a mask in the first place. Maria Godoy, NPR News. From Imprison Nation. The United States stands out for its use of extended solitary confinement in prisons. There has been some reform recently, but now prisons across the country are increasing the use of solitary and lockdowns to slow the spread of the coronavirus. And prison reformers are worried. NPR's Joseph Shapiro reports. Some states and the federal government had started making changes. In some prisons, children can no longer be held in solitary confinement, or pregnant women or people with significant mental illness. Jessica Sandoval, from a coalition of groups fighting against solitary, says that progress is now in danger. We're starting to see an alarming trend uh, surfacing in light of COVID-19. That trend is outlined in a new report by her group, Unlock the Box. It says there were already 60,000 prisoners in solitary, Now, in response to the pandemic, another 300,000 state and federal prisoners have been confined to their cells, in solitary confinement or in lockdown. Lockdown varies from prison to prison. Sandoval says in most cases, prisoners can't leave their cells for meals or exercise or to go to prison jobs. They can't get visits from family. There might be limits on mail and phone calls. Sandoval worries that because it's hard to know what goes on inside prisons, some of those restrictions will stick. We believe that this is the start of a trend to continue to institutionalize the practice of solitary confinement. The Federal Bureau of Prisons in April started restricting the movement of prisoners in response to the virus. Then in the first week of June, all prisoners were put on a rare nationwide lockdown, this time because of fears of how prisoners might respond to the national protests over police abuse and the killing of George Floyd. That lockdown has been lifted, although some restrictions are still in place for COVID-19. The Bureau of Prisons says it hopes that, quote, inmates will be restored to limited movement in the very near future. The coronavirus can spread quickly in prisons, just like in nursing homes or other places where people live close together. How do you respond to this? That's Yale Law School professor Judith Resnick. You try to de-densify, a word that's new to all of us. De-densify. It means you release as many prisoners as possible. Those at the end of their sentence or who are elderly, ones who are not dangerous or can go on home detention. The fewer people in a prison, the easier it is to space out the people who remain and prevent prisoners and prison staff from getting sick. There has been consensus from advocates, from prison officials, from Attorney General Bill Barr on that as the best public health response. Still, only handfuls of federal prisoners from place to place have been released. Dr. Bree Williams, a physician at the University of California, San Francisco, says a medical quarantine inside prison makes sense. 
testing and isolating prisoners temporarily. Williams runs a program called AMEND, which works with prisons on solutions to health problems. There is really a long legacy of many prisons, not all, turning to solitary confinement, turning to lockdown in the face of other public health problems. To deal with suicidal prisoners or those with serious mental illness, Williams says that's a mistake. So there's always a concern that once the system is sort of used to one mode of controlling people, that that will continue. And Williams says it's wrong to keep prisoners in lockdown to stop the coronavirus. Joseph Shapiro, NPR News. For many Missouri inmates, family visits are an essential lifeline to the outside world. But three months ago, the Department of Corrections suspended all in-person visits to keep the coronavirus from spreading within the prison system. It's unclear when those visits will resume, and that's left families feeling anxious about their incarcerated loved ones. St. Louis Public Radio's Shayla Farzan has the story. Back in February, Tina Merriweather and her great-granddaughter took a two-hour bus trip from their home in St. Louis to the women's prison in Vandalia. They were visiting Merriweather's daughter, Latoy Williams, like they do every month. And that visit in February felt like any other. Williams colored a picture of a puppy with her granddaughter, sipped root beer, laughed with her mom. She didn't know it at the time, but it would be her last family visit for months. In March, the Missouri Department of Corrections suspended all in-person visitation due to the pandemic. I was just really frantic, like calling home, making sure my grandbaby was wearing her masks, making sure she's staying in. You know, it was just like a real thing. She's been an inmate at the prison for a year and a half. And she says seeing her family helps her feel less anxious, gives her something to look forward to. At first, William says she didn't really take the virus seriously. But then there was a suspected case of COVID-19 in her housing unit, and everyone was quarantined. You know, they came over there like immediately, come on, just go, leave your things. And then when we get over there, I mean, they in like the full body masks, like the, the white suit on, like, you know, I'm like, wow, what is happening? Since March, about 50 Missouri inmates and 40 employees have tested positive for the coronavirus, and one inmate has died. The cases have mostly been at Southeast Correctional Center, a maximum security men's prison south of Cape Girardeau. Sitting in a folding chair on her porch, William's mom, Tina Merriweather, says she worries her daughter might get sick. And when they talk on the phone, she tells her, wear your mask, wash your hands. Meriwether never knows exactly when her daughter will call, so she carries her phone with her everywhere, just in case. I could be out here taking care of business and she'll call me. I can be having a prayer service and stuff and she'll call me. I miss her so much. I really do. She'll have to wait a while longer to see her daughter. This week, the DOC extended the visiting suspension through at least June 21st. A spokesperson said they're conducting mass testing of inmates and staff and could resume visits in the next few weeks for prisons with no COVID-19 cases. 
Joyce Arditi is a professor at Virginia Tech who studies incarceration and family relationships. She says there's already a lot of hurdles to visiting family members in prison. It's stigmatized. There's not a lot of social support for doing this. It's not like visiting grandma in the hospital or the nursing home or other kinds of institutions where people tend to provide you know, support. And she adds that families with incarcerated loved ones also tend to be lower income and may be facing other challenges during the pandemic, challenges that could make it harder for them to keep in touch by phone or even maintain a relationship at all. So these are families that also might be dealing with hardships around employment, income loss, health risks, access to health resources, testing, etc. So you've kind of got a perfect storm here. Given all that, many inmates are worried about the health of their families on the outside. At the prison in Vandalia, inmate Michelle Hickman says she burst into tears when she heard that she wouldn't be able to see her husband and three kids. It's not easy being in here alone and knowing there's nothing you can do for them out there. Hickman says tensions are high inside the prison, partly because people miss their families. But she's scared that she might be putting her family at risk if they were to visit. I'm like, do I want my visit back? Yes. But I also want to concern myself with the safety of my children and other families as well as people in here. You know, so it's like, how do you move forward with something like that? Every day she waits in line, sometimes for an hour, to get a 15-minute phone call with her family. She says just hearing their voices, knowing they're okay, is what's keeping her going. I'm Shayla Farzan, St. Louis Public Radio. Way, Miss Muffet, huh? No way! I'm a, I'm a Aunt Jemima Jumbo Waffle Eater! Turkey? No! I'm a, I'm a Aunt Jemima Jumbo Waffle Eater! I'm I'm Aunt Jemima Jumbo Waffle Eater. Aunt Jemima Jumbo Waffles. Crispy outside, tender inside. A great part of a good breakfast. Don't be afraid. I'm I'm Aunt Jemima Jumbo Waffle Eater. And Quaker Oats announced this week that it is retiring Aunt Jemima as a brand image, realizing it's racist after 130 years. Michelle Norris had a unique and complicated reaction. She knew Aunt Jemima. Michelle is a former colleague here at NPR. Of course, she hosted All Things Considered for many years and is now a columnist for The Washington Post. Thanks so much for joining us. Scott, it is lovely to be with you. Could you tell us about the Aunt Jemima you knew? Well, several years ago, I, I learned long after she died that my grandmother, Ione Brown, worked as a traveling Aunt Jemima. And your listeners, upon hearing this, will maybe scratch their heads and say, what does that mean? Well, what it means is there was an army of women, black women, who traveled the United States in the 40s and 50s doing pancake demonstrations at county fairs and rotary breakfasts and all throughout the country to try to promote pancake mix, which was new at the time. Convenience cooking was new. Tell us what you learned about how she kind of subverted and created her own Aunt Jemima on the road when she was performing. The woman that's on the package today looks quite modern. She looks like she might be on a local church council. She replaced the old image in 1989 um, when they got an upgrade. And the old image of Aunt Jemima looked like a mammy, looked like a slave woman, 
Um, she had a do-rag on her hair. And in the advertising, she spoke with uh, broken English, a, a kind of a slave patois, to suggest that she did not have education. And what I learned is that when my grandmother did this work, um, and that many of the other women who did this work, that they were not allowed to wear street clothing. They may have wanted to show up and dress quite nicely for these pancake demonstrations, but they had to dress up like Aunt Jemima. That was part of the contract. But they were also asked to speak like the in the in the broken English that you would see in the advertisements. And many of them, including my grandmother, refused to do it. So they knew that when they were going into these small towns, my grandmother had a six-state region that included Iowa, the Dakotas, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. And when they would go into these towns, they knew that in many cases they were going into small towns where people had not seen black women before. And so my grandmother um, and I, I found uh, recordings and examples of, of news coverage when she had gone to these towns and she talked to reporters and she'd explain that she would sing gospel songs when she was serving these pancakes because she wanted people to know that she was a woman of God, that she would focus on young children mm -hmm. and she would recite poetry and, you know, as I, I wrote about this recently, and I said she must have blown their little minds when they came expecting to see someone who spoke in this slave patois, and instead they heard someone speak in the crisp diction that I remember from my grandmother. But my grandmother was doing work that was well paid, and she was stepping on a stage that was available to her. And so she used this as a stepping stone toward a, a better life. Your grandmother was uh, regarded as a celebrity in many of these towns, but I gather when night fell, she couldn't stay there. Well, um, in talking to other people whose family members did this work, they would go to towns and they would look for a small sign that was usually in the lower corner of the window, and it would say tourist. And that was an indication that that was a home that would feed or house people of color when they were traveling. Michelle, you talk with love and admiration, as many people do for your grandmother. Why do you think the subject never came up? I think this is a particularly steep hill for families of color, for black families in particular, because there was so much pain to overcome. It was such a difficult life to love a country that doesn't love you back. And there were things that they just didn't talk about for several reasons. Scott, part of it was it was pain. You know, they were trying to move forward, and, and in order to move forward, they, they couldn't wallow in um, pain and frustration and anger and anxiety. Part of it, and this is where the word grace comes in, part of it is that they wanted very much to give the next generation wind in their wings. They didn't want to pass on their frustrations and pass on their pains necessarily so that the next generation could move forward without being weighed down by some of that. You know, I've spent much of my career behind a microphone. There are stages that are available to me that just were not available to her. And I think about that when I step up on a stage, when I speak to the public and recognize that things are, are easier for me, not easy yet, but easier for me because of the kind of work that women like her did, sometimes quietly, always boldly, Activism comes in very many forms. We're seeing a kind of activism in the streets right now where people are taking to the streets and demanding rights and demanding that this country live up to its promise. But sometimes activism takes on a, a, a quieter tone. Sometimes activism rolls into a small town 
and shows the people of that town what black elegance and black eloquence and black success can sound and look like even when they're not expecting that. Michelle Norris, our colleague for many years, a columnist talking about her grandmother, Ion Brown. Thanks so much for being with us, Michelle. Good to be with you, Scott. My best to you and your family. Peace, quiet, and good order will be maintained in our city to the best of our ability. Riots, melees, and disturbances of the peace are against the interest of all our people and therefore cannot be permitted. Peaceful protests continue as the country reckons with its relationship with police. In some cities, the protesters showed up in such large numbers that officials called in the National Guard. They were meant to bolster law enforcement's presence and control the protests, but some Guard members rejected those orders to deploy, and now they may face consequences. Carson Frame joins me now. She's the military and veterans issues reporter with Texas Public Radio and a correspondent for the American Homefront Project. Welcome, Carson. Thank you so much, Frank, for having me. I look forward to, to chatting about this. Well, it's an interesting subject, and so we need a little bit of background, I guess. Remind us what the National Guard is and their role in the armed services. Sure. So um, the National Guard serve on a part-time basis, uh, usually within the domestic United States. Uh, so they're basically a localized military response. Um, every state has its own National Guard. Um, and because they're state-operated, National Guardsmen who are activated in a state are also usually residents of that state. Um, I should say that the president has the power to federalize them in some situations or pull them into different locations. Um and more recently, they've been dealing with emergencies like natural disasters. Um, that's their that's their typical role, I guess. But they've been, you know, recently doing more work with coronavirus and disinfection and supplies and things like that um, and work along the southern border, too. So it's been more of a mix. Um, but, yeah, so they're, they're military personnel, but they typically work um, civilian jobs, too. Uh, and they tr- they train that that one weekend a month and and two weeks a year. Right, and in terms of chain of command, because you do have this kind of uh, confusing setup where you have a national guard under state control. Are they under the chain of command under the U.S. Uh, military, or are they strictly under the control of the state until, uh, or unless and until the the president federalizes them? I mean, it's it's definitely the latter. I think there's some confusion between um, the guard and the reserves. Um, they all, they all kind of fall under that military reserve force. Um, the main difference between those guard and reserve components though, is, is the command. Um, so reserve units are part of those federal armed forces and they're under the president. Um, but, uh, like the president has the power to federalize guard troops if needed. And, uh, but at the same time, like a governor doesn't have control over reserve units. So reservists wouldn't be called to respond to floods and hurricanes or things like that. And then to add to the confusion, guardsmen are sometimes called citizen soldiers. So can you explain what that label means? Sure. I mean, that's, I think that's a reference to, you know, their their part-time service um, and the fact that they, you know, reside in these, in these communities where they might later serve. Um, I actually saw an interesting admission about this from the National Guard Bureau in D.C., um, you know, he was he was the chief uh, over there was talking about the civil unrest mission that's, that's been underway. And he said it's an uncomfortable mission because our, our guard members are from these communities, you know. 
So let's talk about that mission and talk about this story in particular. What were Guard members ordered to do with regard to these protests? Um, I mean, I think a lot of it was um, to kind of reduce criminal activity on the ground, um, kind of manage the flow of crowds um, and block off streets. Um, So they had sort of a limited like law enforcement type of role. Um, some of them were asked to carry weapons. Um, but I mean, it, the, the actual mission kind of depended on, you know, the state in which they were activated. Yeah. And as we say, the story is that there are some National Guard members who did not want to participate in this. And I want to play a clip from uh, one of the California National Guard members you spoke with for your story. And he's explaining his decision to refuse the order to deploy to a protest in California. If I made the decision to go along with it, I feel like I would sort of be compromising, you know, who I am in that moment. You know, what we're told is discourage people from, you know, criminal activity and things like that. But that doesn't necessarily what is going to be communicated on the ground when you see people, you know, in uniform with with weapons, you know, standing around formation. So we have people dealing with. COVID, we've had people dealing with, you know, natural disasters and things like that. Uh, but to actually go out and be sort of this invading force, like many people are not comfortable with it. They, they feel like it's not really um, what they signed up for. And that was in California Air Guardsman interviewed by Carson Frame, granted anonymity and his voice altered to protect him from the career ramifications. I'm here with Carson now talking about her reporting on National Guard members who refused to deploy uh, so this guardsman spoke about uh, the moral objection to deploying. Can you expand on the reasoning that you heard by others who said that they didn't want to do this? Yeah. So, so from what I saw and heard, um, guardsmen had a fairly wide range of objections to these protest deployments. So it wasn't like a one size fits all. Um, some of them said they had seen, you know, a lot of examples of police and service members acting out of line, and they didn't want to be complicit in that in any way. Um, others were concerned about training. I mean, basically, they hadn't had experience in riot control or de-escalation, and they would say to me, basically, like, I'm not comfortable carrying a weapon in these circumstances because who knows what could happen, who knows what pressure I could be under, Um And, you know, I also heard people say, you know, these protesters are exercising First Amendment rights and and we as guardsmen took oaths to defend the Constitution. So I'm having trouble reconciling that in my mind. Um, And there were kind of, as you heard in that in that clip, um, some concerns about sustaining a moral injury, like not being able to forgive themselves for what they did or feeling as though they would end up um, perhaps on the wrong side of history. Um, but really like that self-preservation motivation was pretty far down the list for most of them. Um, and in a general way, I think there was a lot of sympathy also with the protesters themselves. I mean, guardsmen kind of saw them as friends, family, or community. Um, and then also, I mean, to be, to be blunt about it, they were, they were worried about some of the aggressive rhetoric coming out of Washington. I heard a couple people say, you know, uh, they referenced the president's comment, uh, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, and what that might mean for them um, and their activities on the ground. Any sense of how widespread this sentiment is within the Guard? Um, I mean, I think, um, 
I only spoke to a couple of organizations here, um, admittedly, but uh, for example, the GI rights hotline was saying they were getting, you know, a handful of calls about this every day, every afternoon. Um, and that was just a few counselors. So I think that there, there is, you know, there are uh, significant pockets of the guard that are feeling this way, guard and reserves, or at least some level of hesitation about the deployments. I don't know that most people who have concerns would would say, you know, I'm simply refusing to activate altogether, but they may be taking other other actions, um, you know, in, in terms of resistance. Well, what are their rights in all of this? How far can a guards uh, guard member go to refuse an order like this? I mean, they they do have some some protections in terms of questioning orders. Uh, the Uniform Code of Military Justice um, offers some of that protection, um, but it's it's if a service member is refusing an unlawful order. Uh, so the idea is that a soldier or you know or an airman in that situation has a moral and legal obligation to the Constitution not to obey the order um, or the people that issued it. But uh, for a guardsman to effectively reject an order, like at least in the legal sense, they have to point to a direct violation of the Constitution or the UCMJ. So it has to be really strong and really clear, um, and it can't just be a matter of opinion. So I think that's where some of these guardsmen might run into trouble. Well, I was going to ask you what kind of trouble, what what are the potential consequences here? Sure. Um, I mean, there are... There are definitely a lot of unknowns about how commands will punish troops who resist in some way, um, whether it's like refusing to obey orders and not showing up to the armory or refusing to fire a weapon. Um, but if they don't show up, they could theoretically face really serious charges, um, desertion, absent without leave, um, or they could be made to separate from service, um, you know, perhaps with an other than honorable discharge, which might affect their careers or their lives uh, further down the line. Um, and there is the chance that they might not get punished at all. I mean, they could just face some kind of backlash from their commander or their peers or like just even members of the public. Um, so I think that's also, right. you know, a possibility. Well, I wonder if there are other moments in our history when the National Guard was certainly used in similar situations. We know they are, but whether or not they've uh, that authorities have faced this kind of resistance. Um, sure. I mean, I, I can't necessarily speak to, um, you know, guard deployments where, you know, domestic guard deployments where there was a lot of a lot of resistance on the part of the service members. I can kind of speak to um, just the times in which they've been activated in, in, in tense periods in our history. Um, I mean, the, the National Guard, I think, has been activated about 16 times at the federal level. Uh, and I think nine of those had to do with riots, protests, or, you know, enforced integration. So obviously, you know, federal intervention helped to overcome resistance to integrations, especially in schools um, in states like Arkansas, Mississippi, and Alabama. Um, you know, but it has used to be, it has been used to stop riots too. I mean, for example, after the assassination of MLK, um, and also after the acquittal of the LAPD officers who um, beat Rodney King. And then there have been a lot of state-level call-ups by governors for civil unrest, too. So one example would be Kent State. Um, obviously, when Ohio National Guard members fired on a crowd of students protesting Vietnam. Um, you know, and then also, like, for example, the Watts riots in L.A. in 65, which were, you know, basically a call to end mistreatment by police and discrimination with regard to housing, employment, 
uh, schools and things like that. So, I mean, in that case, the California guard was called in and told to suppress that. And, and, you know, some deaths did occur as a result of those clashes. Um, so there's been, you know, a, a, a decent mix of, um, federal and state level call-ups, uh, for the, for the guard, um, you know, some, some, I would, I guess more popular than others. Um, but I really, I really don't know, um, uh, in terms of the number of those who resisted. Carson Frame is the military and veterans issues reporter for Texas Public Radio, as well as a correspondent for the American Homefront Project. Carson, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. How old are you, boy? Thirteen. Thirteen. Damn. This is an exhausting year for people following the news. It's especially so because following the news is not optional. From the pandemic to protests against police, people are living the news. It's hard for parents to keep the news from kids, even if they want to. And for black children, the pressures can be overwhelming. NPR's Patty Naimond asked psychologists what black families can do. My son, his behavior has changed with coronavirus and the protests. Ariadne Williams' six-year-old son's had difficulty sleeping, and he's returned to a habit he quit a year ago, sucking his thumb. And he became much more clingy at home to me physically. He's always a very affectionate child and huggy and kissy, but he literally, I cannot basically peel him off me. These are typical behaviors when kids are worried or stressed, says psychologist Erlanger Turner, spokesperson for the American Psychological Association. For toddlers who may have been potty trained, for example, they may begin to have more frequent accidents. As you look at older children that may be school-aged and even teenagers, you may begin to see difficulties with problems with their irritability. They may be more angry, more sad. He says parents should talk with their children, listen, and try to soothe. They can even admit they, too, are worried. But the recent highly publicized events of brutality against black people, he says, have taken an even bigger toll, especially on black children. Rhea Roper-Ned and her husband have two sons. Noah is seven, Christopher, ten. They've shared some aspects of these events with their children because there really isn't much of a choice. It's everywhere. It's on the news. It's on the TV. And if not, my husband and I are speaking about these events. And a couple of weeks ago, after George Floyd was killed by police, her older son, Christopher, asked, didn't this happen last week? All I can say to him was the truth. The truth was, yes, it did happen last week and the week before and the week before that. It's very much the same story, a different person. And that hurts. That hurts that what he is hearing from the world are instances of racial prejudice and bias and outright racism. She fears her son is suffering a loss of hope. There was a day, one day in particular, in which I was so emotional over what I was seeing on TV and reading that we decided that we needed to go and protest ourselves. We needed to do more than just sit on the sidelines, sit at home. The family drove to a protest near where they lived in suburban Maryland. And on the way there, we are trying to inform them about what is happening, what are we doing, and why is it important for them to be a part of this movement. And one of my sons said, well, why are we even doing this? Nothing changes. She tried to explain that protest is a pathway to change. 
It's hard to hear a young child at the age of 10 already aware of the history of how racism has been institutionalized and to already know that the change that is happening, it's so slow, too slow for his understanding to even see it. This isn't the first time she's had to talk to her sons about racism. I was at a store, Rite Aid, and Christopher, one of my sons, his hands were in his pockets. And, you know, the candy's right there. He didn't have candy in his pocket, but I had to let him know very clearly you were never to go to a counter or anywhere and have your hands in a pocket in the stores. There's just a different interpretation of the same action, I believe, because he's a Black boy. Psychologist Turner says these conversations are difficult but essential. You do have to teach your child these ways of behaving to make sure that they are not seen as a threat. I think you can keep it as simple as, you know, unfortunately, people sometimes don't treat everybody the same way. And for us, we have to make sure that we behave in these ways so that they don't make these bad assumptions. Children may be sad, he says, but ultimately this understanding can build resilience. If you don't have those conversations, then they may experience these incidents as either a teenager or or even an adult and not know how to make sense of that. And so you sort of prepare them and they don't feel stuck We're trying to process why these events are happening. Like Roper Ned, Ariadne and Chris Williams felt a responsibility to protest, and that really worried their nine-year-old daughter, Marley. Marley expressed fear of going of police, and I was trying to explain, well, we won't go in the night for the curfew, and she said, I saw police pushing people in a day. I don't want to go in the day. We said, we won't take you somewhere like that. She said, you can't be certain of that because I watch it on TV and I explained to her, you still have to exercise your right to say what you think about things and you can't be scared and stay in your house. Williams was working that day, so her husband Chris took the children to the protest. They carried signs and chanted. Marley eventually calmed down, felt a sense of purpose, and even made up a dance to go along with the chant. They were scared, but when they came home, they were very exuberant. They had a great day. I'm very happy he took them to feel empowered. Psychologist Mariam Jernigan-Noessi researches racial discrimination and health. She's also the mother of four-year-old Carter. She says it's not just black families that need to have these difficult conversations. I'm teaching Carter about the world, and I'm teaching him about himself, but I also have to teach him about keeping him safe in a society that's racist. What are you teaching your children about my child? Are you countering the messages, the negative messages and stereotypes about, you know, Black boys, Black girls, you know, or children from other backgrounds? She suggests white parents don't simply go along with white as the norm, but instead work to teach their children to be citizens of the world, to appreciate and respect all people. Patty Naiman, NPR News. This question, why is this stuff happening? The New York Times article, I mean editorial today, the Trump effect. See, this is what I'm doing with my money, buying newspapers like Dick Gregory. (laughs) The Trump effect and how it spreads. 
It says we are on the brink, under, under Trump, on the brink of fascism. New York Times, all the news that's fit to print, editorial 1210-2015. I say fascism is end-stage white supremacy. See, it's, I mean, just like in Nazi Germany. Fascism, system of racism, white supremacy, determined to survive. Woman caught on camera yelling racial slurs at a family from Charlotte. We want to warn you that while we have bleeped the language, this video is still jarring. Touch me, you go to jail. Touch me. We first showed you some of this video earlier today at noon. It was recorded in Asheville during a protest. New today at five, our Elsa Gillis talked with the Charlotte family about a birthday celebration that turned into a verbal attack. We're walking down the street and I hear a screeching voice in my ear behind me. Aisha Sabor and her boyfriend Justin Johnson were in downtown Asheville for Justin's mom's birthday, heading to dinner as a group when this woman started hurling racial slurs their way. Aisha says the woman, identified by Asheville police as Rachel Ruitt, then turned to nearby peaceful protesters, protesting in Pack Square for racial equality. She saw the group that I was with and she started to target them and everyone else there as well, continuing to scream racial slurs. She used the N-word an amount of times I've never heard in my life. That's when Justin's brother started to record this video. You know, that woman, she was filled with such extreme hate and that level of hate it, and also the level of privilege as well, if you think about it, to be able to go up to a group. I mean, there was five of us right. and scream such a derogatory word to us. And that video could have went a completely different direction um, should you hadn't shown as much restraint as you have and uh, myself as well. Justin is referring in part to this piece of the video that Aisha says was directed at her. You go to jail, touch me, so her goal was to provoke violence, you know, from me so that she could weaponize the police department. She could weaponize the justice system against us. So I want to be very clear and intentional that I, I think that she knew exactly what she was doing. As this video continues to go viral, Aisha says she wants this message clear. I think that we have to recognize that racism in America is alive and well. Um, and that while this was a, an isolated instance, instance for me, it's not for people of color. It happens all the time. It's time for us to come together as a society and be actively anti-racist. And according to Asheville police, a criminal summons was issued for Ruit for disorderly conduct. Erica? I say fascism is end-stage white supremacy. I can tell you that this incident allegedly happened yesterday morning right here along Corona Road, and I'm told that both parties were at a stoplight when things took a terrible turn. Why? Why? Because I'm black? Why? A question Catrice Rogers is asking after she says a white man called her and a friend derogatory names. She says it started with this sound after her friend was slow to drive off at a green light. He followed us, proceeded to follow us up the road, pulled up on the side of us, yelling, this is why they're killing y'all now, you n***a. 
language so offensive we can't air. Rogers says the driver called her and a friend the N-word and another expletive. Rogers says it came to a head on Ballinger Highway when both vehicles pulled over and an argument started. Disrespected because I'm black? Just because I'm black? That, uh, that's just not right. Flint Police Chief Phil Hart says racism will not be tolerated. A police report hasn't been filed, so he couldn't comment on this incident, but says racially motivated crimes could result in an ethnic intimidation charge. Rogers was able to snap this photo, which Hart says anyone feeling targeted on the road should do. If they don't have uh, uh, the availability to, say, snap a photograph or something, as soon as they are in a safe location, if they can write down a description of the vehicle, I mean, as much description as you can. I called the owner of the company on the truck, Robert Ward. He admits to using the foul words, but says he was provoked. I said, you know, F and N, and I shouldn't have. They're flipping me the bird. And I said, that's what causes problems out here. Do you understand the pain behind that I word? do. I really do. And so then some would say, if you understand the pain, then why use it? I don't know why it came out. It did, and I don't know why. Can I take it back? No, I can't. You know, all I can say is I'm sorry. An apology Rogers recorded and posted on Facebook after calling the number on the truck. She says she doesn't feel it's sincere. Since then, Ward says he's contacted the Clayton Township Police Department scared for his safety. I fear for my family. I've had death threats. They say they're going to burn my house down. Have you learned anything? Oh, yeah. talking with Flint Black Lives Matter. Ward says he plans to publicly apologize to both of those women tomorrow at a Juneteenth event. He also tells me he's planning to donate to a local black nonprofit. For now, reporting live in Flint, Bria Jones, the Michigan Now. I say fascism is in-stage white supremacy. A black Virginia pastor is still fighting tonight to get a criminal charge against him dropped after he was allegedly attacked by a gang of white people cursing and calling him the N-word. WSA 9 was the first to tell you last week about this alleged hate crime that happened in Shenandoah County. It's now become a national story, a window by some accounts into the everyday injustices that African Americans can face. Now, the sheriff has apologized and says the prosecutor promised to drop the charges against the pastor, but Bruce Lachan reports... That hasn't happened yet. Does the Second Amendment apply to me? Pastor Leon McRae had a simple question for the American justice system after sheriff's deputies arrested him. He pulled out a legal handgun to defend himself against a group of five white people who were allegedly attacking him, calling him the N-word, telling him black lives don't matter on his own property in Edinburgh, Virginia. No one has interviewed me, and now here I am, I'm in handcuffs now. They're still cheering and carrying on and acting crazy. Uh, and they put me in the police car, and now they're taking me off to jail. I have placed two supervisors of my staff on unpaid administrative leave. The Shenandoah County Sheriff has now apologized to McRae. The five alleged attackers have been charged with hate crimes and assault. But if you look at the Virginia court's database, you can still see the brandishing charge against McRae who says in his 61 years, he has never been arrested for anything. Really, to save my life, I, I pulled my gun, um, and 
I pointed it down to the ground in hopes that they would uh, back off. The sheriff says Commonwealth's attorney, Amanda McDonald-Wisely, has agreed to drop the charges against McRae, but she has not yet returned our calls or emails. McRae's lawyer says all she has done is file a motion not to prosecute. That, he says, would leave the charge on the pastor's record and allow her to refile later. Veteran defense attorney Chris Kowalczyk calls McRae the poster child for what's wrong with the system. He says what happened to him is far too common. A lead Washington Post editorial called his arrest dangerous, demeaning, and dehumanizing and said it is impossible to imagine that scenario playing out in reverse with the arrest of a lone white man menaced by a throng of black people. Your black uh, MF uh, life don't matter around here. But McCray says as a black man, he was the only one arrested at the scene. Bruce Lachan, WUSA 9. And we have to begin to understand, I say you can't understand the gun mania if you don't understand racism and white supremacy. The gun is the answer to conscious and or subconscious. The answer, the response to the quite collective feeling they can be genetically annihilated by black genetic material. And the gun is a great equalizer. I encourage everybody to get a copy of the ISIS papers and read. On top of a monument in Albuquerque, New Mexico, a heated confrontation between protesters wanting to tear down a conquistador statue and an armed militia trying to protect it. It's unclear how the incident began, but during the showdown, a man in a blue shirt is seeing ripping signs away from women, pushing them back, then throwing one protester to the ground. Suddenly, several give chase, striking at the man with a skateboard. He shoots out pepper spray before being tackled, then the sound of gunfire. In all of the chaos, the militia known as the New Mexico Civil Guard forming a protective line around the man now identified as Stephen Ray Baca, the son of a former sheriff's deputy and recent candidate for city council. While yards away, volunteer medics try to stabilize a protester shot several times, now in critical condition. When police arrive, they detain the militia and arrest Baca, charging him with aggravated battery with a firearm. The mayor of Albuquerque saying the violence has to stop. It appears that the perpetrator was agitating at the protest well before the shooting took place. Going to continue to seek the strongest possible prosecution and justice in this matter. For years, statues of conquistador Juan de Oñate have been seen by some as part of their heritage. But to Native Americans, they are symbols of oppression. In 1598, Oñate and his men slaughtered thousands of the Pueblo people, enslaved survivors, and cut off the right foot of men over 25. Now at least two monuments have been taken down by city leaders. Actions protesters say they wanted to happen weeks ago as thousands have taken to the streets, often met by heavily armed civilian militia groups saying they're there to protect property. Tonight, the governor vowing to root out all instigators while trying to keep the peace. Gotti Schwartz, NBC News, Albuquerque, New Mexico. I, d- I don't want to cause any problems, Lieutenant. I just want a new partner. Oh, I understand. Your partner's a racist prick, but you don't want to stir up any bad feelings with him. Well, he's been on the force for a long time. And, uh, 17 years. And I do have to work here, sir. So, you don't mind that there's a racist prick on the force. You just don't want him to ride in your car. If you need me to go on record about this, sir, I will. That'd be great. Write a full report. Because I'm anxious to understand how an obvious bigot could have gone undetected in this department for 17 years. 
11 of which he was under my personal supervision, which doesn't speak very highly of my managerial skills. But that's not your concern. I can't wait to read it. In 2008, a police officer named Cariel Horn was fired by the Buffalo Police Department. The reason? She had jumped on the back of a white cop, one of her colleagues, in order to stop him from holding a black man in a chokehold. When Horn was fired, she was just one year away from securing her pension. The department claimed she had put her fellow officers at risk. And now, the Buffalo Common Council is asking the New York State Attorney General to take another look at her case. Darius Pridgen is the president of the Buffalo Common Council, and he joins us now. Welcome. Thank you. So I understand that you have asked for a meeting with Letitia James, the New York State Attorney General, about this case. Have you heard anything back from her office yet? Yeah, actually, um, first of all, thank you for having me on. And yes, the Attorney General's office did uh, call today. Uh, We actually asked for an investigation into the matter. They called today to get more specifics on exactly what the Common Council unanimously approved. Okay, so tell me what do you want to see ultimately happen for Cariel Horn? You know, I think ultimately, especially as we look at, you know, uh, the climate and atmosphere right now and the attention um, is that uh, she should at least um, be able to receive her pension and the uh, year uh, that she lost as a police officer so that she can at at the least be able to receive her pension. Okay. Now, this isn't this incident that we're talking about. It happened back in 2006. Horn was ultimately fired two years later in 2008. Why did it take 12 years to push for a review of this case? Well, we've been asking for, as a matter of fact, I was looking in my office today. I've only been elected about 10 years, but right when I began uh, my term, we began asking um, and be coming more involved with her case. Um, the attorney general, former attorney general, had looked at it at the request of the mayor um, and also the controller. Those two persons came back with no findings or that she was fired uh, rightfully, as, at least as far as the previous attorney general. We now have a different attorney general. We now have a different atmosphere in this country. And so it isn't a 13 year. Now we're looking at it. We've been trying to get attention to this for the last 13 years. And I understand that your counsel passed two other resolutions related to the Buffalo Police Department, one asking the police department to train officers on a duty to intervene. Tell us what that means. Yeah, so we had on our books a duty to intervene policy, which basically says that if an officer sees someone in distress, regardless of whether it is by uh, a fellow officer, they have a duty to intervene. Um, and just as as Cariel did. And because uh, more than likely that was not on the books as a policy then, mm-hmm. uh, Cariel suffered the ultimate fate, and that is the loss of her job. And so now we're saying train these officers. They should know something happens, regardless of whether it is one of your colleagues, stop and help. Your job is not just to uh, protect. The job is to serve. And you mentioned that this policy is now officially on the books. So how much have you been seeing the police department actually following this policy now? Well, you know, I mean, that's hard to say. You know, we have had an incident here recently in the city of Buffalo um, of a 75-year-old man. You can see in the video that has gone around the world, an officer who seems to want to help. 
Uh, but another policy or at least procedure said that when you're in a crowd control situation, keep moving forward. And so that's why we're asking clarify these policies so that these police officers are not caught in a catch 22. That is Darius Pridgen. He is the president of the Buffalo Common Council. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, this is Cody Ingham. Uh, this report is written by Ruby Sales. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just want to read a little bit because this happened uh, in the past seven days. And with all of the outrage that I've heard justified outrage about uh, Trayvon Martin's killer being acquitted, I really haven't heard anything about this. And this, is, I think, makes your point brutally uh, about what happens every day as a result of white genetic annihilation. Uh, this is written by Ruby Fear Sales. of white genetic annihilation. Thank you. Fear of white genetic annihilation. Uh, this is written on July 17th. Uh, Cody Ingham was an 18-year-old black male. He was found hanging from a tree in Athens, Texas, on Monday morning, July 15th, 2013. A friend from California gave me this tip, and I am on the case. I spoke to Ray Nutt, sheriff of Henderson County, where Athens is located. In our conversation, he confirmed that Cody Ingham was found hanging from a tree Monday morning. Apparently, this incident took place on Sunday, the day after the Zimmerman acquittal. According to the sheriff, Mr. Ingham committed suicide. In telling the story, he said that Mr. Ingham killed himself after he left his girlfriend's house. I asked the sheriff if the girlfriend was white. He said he did not. He said he said he did not readily know the answer and went to look it up. He came back on the he came back on the phone and Dr. Welsing, of course, correct, said she was white. He said Cody and his girlfriend went to a rodeo where they ran into, oh, that's a Dr. Welsing moment right there, rodeo. Uh, they went to a rodeo where they ran into her old boyfriend. He said Cody came back very upset and an argument ensued that continued when Mr. Ingham went home with the nameless girlfriend. Mr. Ingham finally told her he was leaving and she never heard from him again. The next morning, she found him hanging from a tree located down her driveway. According to a family source connected to the father, Mr. Ingham called his mother at two in the morning and asked her to pick him up. She called him back, but he did not answer her call. Since this story was not reported in the newspaper, I asked a local editor of the Athens Review why Mr. Ingham's death was only reported as an obituary and not as a story. He mm. said they don't report suicides. Mm. The report continues, but as I said, this is from July 15th, the day after the Zimmerman verdict, and I really have heard very I little. I hope you that to me. Yes, I will do that tomorrow morning. Uh, I have heard very little about this. Do you have any, any thoughts on this? I haven't heard it, but again, there's the, the attack when black men were being lynched day in and day out because the accusation was made that they were with a white female, they were thinking about being with a white female, etc. That is an act to prevent white genetic annihilation. And that's why he was lynched and he did not commit suicide. I will wager anyone, he did not commit suicide. He was murdered because we are in a system of racism, white supremacy. Authorities have changed their view of the death of a black man in California. Before we go further, we will warn you that some people find this story disturbing, and it will last about four minutes. If you want to change the station, come back to us in a few. 
Two different men were found dead in different places in Southern California, both hanging from trees. Authorities initially described both cases as suicides, but after protests, the L.A. Sheriff's Department is reconsidering one of the cases. Emily Elena Dugdale of KPCC has been following this story. Good morning. Good morning. What are the circumstances of these two deaths so far as is known? Yeah, so on May 31st, a 38-year-old man named Malcolm Harsh was found dead hanging from a tree near the city library in Victorville, California. That's about 90 minutes from L.A. That case was largely underreported until last Wednesday when 24-year-old Robert Fuller was also found hanging from a tree in a park in Palmdale, California. That's only about 50 miles from where Harsh was found. So the families of both men think the deaths were lynchings, not suicides. Fuller's family and friends say he didn't have any mental health issues and that he was in the prime of his life. So my colleague Josie Wong spoke to a woman named Tommy Anderson, who was one of Fuller's close friends. Anderson said Fuller was excited about an upcoming group trip to Las Vegas and the rising Black Lives Matter movement. Robert didn't die here. And that's what I want people to completely understand, that he did not die here. He didn't come to this park and hang himself. Somebody brought him here and did this to him. Do authorities have any new evidence, though, about the case? Actually, they didn't present any new evidence at a press conference yesterday. They just explained that they initially thought it was likely a suicide because there was no evidence of foul play. Here's what the county's medical examiner, Jonathan Lucas, said. We felt better that we should look into a little more deeply and carefully, just considering all the circumstances at play. So California Attorney General Javier Becerra said his office will assist the Sheriff's Department in the Fuller investigation. Now, yesterday's press conference came after days of rallies that were fueled by anger over George Floyd's killing. Many of the black residents in the area say they have a strange relationship with the Sheriff's Department. A four-year investigation starting in 2011 by the U.S. Department of Justice found housing discrimination in Palmdale aided by the Sheriff's Department against black residents. And in weeks recent weeks amidst nationwide Black Lives Matter protests, there's been at least one shooting death of a black man at the hands of a sheriff deputy in the area. So in this wider context of protest about a wide range of conditions, how are people responding to the latest Mm -hmm. announcement? Yeah, so friends and family say it's not enough. They're calling for an independent investigation led by the California Attorney General, not just supporting the sheriff's work. You know, it's it's not that they just don't trust the local law enforcement. The community is very aware of the well-documented history of neo-Nazi groups in the region. And we've seen a rising trend in hate crimes that are linked to the demographic shifts in the area from overwhelmingly white to more black and brown as people leave greater Los Los Angeles in search for more affordable housing. So on Monday, civil rights activist Najee Ali referred to those trends at a press conference in downtown L.A. I find it very strange they were hung within days of each other in Palmdale and Victorville, an area that we know is frequented by skinhead and white nationalism who definitely want to hang on to that white supremacy. Okay, one of the activists speaking out about cases in Southern California. Emily Elena Dugdale of KPCC, thanks. Thank you. The man, race, race, class, genre, and the dilemmas of black manhood. Developing news, it appears the brother of a black man who was found hanging from a tree last week has been killed in a deputy-involved shooting. 
It happened in the city of Rosamond, just north of Palmdale. And CBS 2's Cara Finstrom is live with an update on the investigation. Cara, good morning. Good morning, DeMarco. Investigators have been here all night long. They remain just behind us. You can see the scene still sealed off here. Authorities say L.A. County deputies shot and killed a man now identified by a family attorney as Tehran Jamal Boone and injured a woman. They were in an SUV with what family members tell us uh, is her seven-year-old daughter. She reportedly was not hurt. Now, I just spoke with a man who says the woman shot is his sister. He did not want to talk about exactly what may have happened here, but said he's looking for answers after what's been a horrific couple weeks for his family. Yeah, and we're angry. We're handling it the best way we know how. And right now, it's in God's hands. And I'm just glad and grateful that my sister is alive and that my niece is alive. Take a look. Family members tell us the man killed was a half-brother of this man, Robert Fuller from Palmdale. Fuller, a 24-year-old, was found dead hanging from a tree last week. His death was originally ruled a suicide, but his family and protesters pressured investigators to reopen the case. Jeffrey Thomas says he doesn't know of any direct connection between the deaths, uh, but listen to this. This is video that we obtained from a security camera nearby. This is the shooting here in Rosamond. Uh, the sheriff's department tells us deputies were tracking a man suspected of kidnapping, spousal assault, and assault with a deadly weapon. They say when deputies tried to make a traffic stop, the man allegedly started shooting. Deputies say they then returned fire, killing the man. Again, the woman was shot, taken to the hospital, but we understand she has since been released. And the seven-year-old, uh, Thomas tells us, is safe and okay. Back here live again, Thomas did not want to share any specifics about what his family believes transpired here, but he says they are looking for some answers. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. They had a trigger warning with the first segment on Robert Fuller and the hangings, right, in California. And if you don't want to hear all this, I think they should have had a trigger warning with the second report where his half-brother with all of the gunshots, that sort of thing. In my experience, they don't do that. If it is a non-black person when there's a shooting, I'm sure you can find exceptions. But generally speaking, they do not show you the video. You're not going to hear all the gunshots uh, ring out someone kills a white person generally speaking like I said there are some uh, exceptions but I mean that is very common you know sometimes they'll replay it oh we got a new angle on George Floyd's choking you know we got new footage of Brianna they'll just keep showing it and keep showing I know they did that with Eric Garner and lots of them they'll just keep showing it and keep showing it and keep showing it Philando Castile we got different angles and we got the black and white and now we got the body camera image and I've seen where it's white officers uh, where they will stop 
Now I got to do all that and just keep looping it. The man nut. Necrophilia. All of that. Uh, that's why I said I would not binge on all of it. I think that's important. Right? But you do not need to uh, imbibe that all day long. Uh, and in fact, even for a lot of that, you don't even need to look at that footage per se. You can just listen. Read it is even better. I like it when you can, because sometimes you can just go to the website read the transcript that way you don't have to see all of that i know for some people you need to do the work and investigate that's important but for other people if you're trying to preserve your mental health as best you can oh man what a year 2020 like uh siege at every moment i just told a listener that this week like uh just wake up every day and wonder what new horrors you will have to you know hear about learn about read about Trying his best. Dr. Welsing would say, be not discouraged. Be not discouraged. Saturday, June 20, 2020. So I have been told this is our compensatory call in, dial in. If you have thoughts, observations, suggestions, what a week going into summer. So they say, man, they have been. I was thinking earlier today. July 4th is approaching and I think they have canceled a lot of the events associated with that so-called holiday because of the Rona, thankfully. But I I know they're still going to have some of the festivities around all of that. And I'm sure there's still going to be fireworks for sale and, you know, people doing that in their backyards and out in the street and all the rest of that. Uh, I have been hearing sounds that, you know, could be fireworks. But it's a little early for all of that. And then I was also thinking there shouldn't be as much of that going on this year. So I don't know. In stage white supremacy, you got a lot of gun sales. They have a lot of guns here in Washington state. Uh, they had a lot of protests too. So all together. And then I don't know, but dangerous times here uh, on the plantation. This is the compensatory call in dial in. If you have thoughts, observations, uh, questions. The number is 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Number again, 605-313-5164. The code 564 564- nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate many things to share on a week when many things took place uh so one we will be here tomorrow so excited global sunday talk on racism 3 p.m eastern somebody fussed at me they admonished me the folks in central would like to be updated so it'll be 3 p.m eastern 2 p.m central 12 noon pacific i guess we do have folks that are mountain so it'll be 1 p.m mountain 8 p.m london time and that's all we're going to do for time zones you can figure out the rest Uh, But we will be here tomorrow. Looking forward. Global Sunday Talk. They have been protesting and dragging down statues of individuals classified as white who have been dead for 300 years. Acting a fool. The Rona is still rolling. 
looking forward to checking in uh, with folks in different parts of the world tomorrow. Uh, always good to exchange views on racism, particularly with folks around the globe. Uh, we will also be here on Monday. What is that? The 22nd? I think that is Monday, the 22nd. Correct. Dr. Martin Kevorkian, admitted white supremacist, will be back on the cows. I don't even know how many times he's been with us at this point, but he was here way back in May of 2011, has been here a bunch of times since then. We've talked about uh, the book, The Invisible Man, or Invisible Man, sorry. Uh, We've talked about a number of films uh, over the years, Pulp Fiction and Green Mile and the Rocky franchise and the Matrix and the Terminator franchise. Lots of films. Lots and lots of the Black Mirror uh, series. Uh, This Monday, he will be here. These films might sound like they were just randomly kind of tossed together. That is not the case. These films are picked, were selected specifically based on things that are happening right now right now so the films are the hate you give based on the book formerly the worst book ever Woof! absolutely horrendous matter of fact that book is so bad do you know how bad that book is that book is so bad i had individuals who said that they were white email me and tell me wow that book is really bad you're right Gus and I emailed them both back and said hey we don't need all of that I know I'm right the book is horrible what you can do is invest in the cows wish list PayPal they said you're right bam both of them that's how bad the hate you give is anyway so that book and film are being heavily promoted right now not Mr. Fuller not Urugu not the man not not Dr. Welsing long list of folks who have really informative information the medical apartheid no they're promoting the hate you give book and movie in fact they have the movie streaming for free they have all those old tacky like reading lists and how do you talk to your child about this moment of protest the hate you give all well formally worst book ever so that'll be one next Terminator Dark Fate not a great film obviously this is not a selection of you know fantastic classic cinema but not a great film but wow Dr. Kevorkian's book Color Monitors the Black Face of Technology in America which is pretty constructive we talked about it many times before talked about the Terminator franchise specifically Dark Fate even in the titling of it and then you watch it it's wow Thomas in New York he called it the is that the Mexican Terminator I was a little confused I was like, well, I guess, yeah, I reckon they land in Mexico City, and I guess, yeah, that's, yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. They just had the DACA decision, right? Fascinating. Uh, So that's two. Hate you give, Terminator Dark Fate. Been talking about it, the Boogaloo. They reference it every time. I can find five links 
easy in mainstream media outlets this week alone. Easy. No sweat. Uh, Breaking two. The electric boogaloo. Cowbell. There. Cowbell. In hate you give as well. Uh, Again, not classic cinema, but wow. A film to be that came out like 30 years ago. Why is that film being referenced so much now in reference to these groups of white terrorists who are going out and attacking and shooting violent acts against black and non-white people why would they be referencing this film from 30 odd years ago breaking two electric boogaloo that's three and our last installment for this coming monday black mirror season five Episode one, Striking Vipers. That is the only installment we're doing. Not doing the whole season. Just that episode, Striking Vipers. And that'll wrap us for Monday. Looking forward to having Dr. Kevorkian on the program. And again, not this is not per se like, oh yeah, I'm so excited about these films. Blah, blah, blah. It's really more like, what do these films have to say about what is happening right now why do these films keep getting referenced for right now Terminator Dark Fate just came out I think that's the most recent of the films that we're viewing so or I guess Black Mirror was pretty new too but anyway that'll be for Monday looking forward to it uh, if anyone has you know if you have offspring and they had to watch or read both maybe uh, the hate you give or they check that out Maybe they can check out the installment with Dr. Kevorkian, hear what he has to say. Woo, I am excited, man. And in fact, I can even give you a little snippet. While I was putting together the audio clips for today's broadcast, I had Breaking 2 playing in the background. And I looked at it, and they were dancing in the street. And they came out at one point like directly to dance and confront suspected racists. And I looked at it. And I almost looked back over at the other screen and pulled up one of the clips where they were out in the street, like doing the electric slide and stuff with the police officers and all that. Cause there's been a whole lot of that the last two months. And I said, Oh, I looked at the, <laughs> I looked back at, at electric. What is it? A breaking two electric boogaloo. I looked back at it and I went back and looked at them doing the electric slide in the street. I said, Oh, we gosh, that's a little too close. Wow. I did not think it was going to be that apparent as to why they picked that name, but wow, it looked really similar anyway. uh, So that's the films here tomorrow and Monday, the fruit segment uh, I thought was really important because I had talked before about the meat packing plants uh, and they've had so many reports about how they have been, Uh, vectors for contagion. Uh, They've had to shut down a number of plants and President Trump uh, had to sign the uh, emergency order saying that these are essential uh, businesses and these meat processing plants have to stay open and how dangerous because the conditions are really tight and then you have a disproportionate number of non-white people who work there. So lots of that. We had talked about that and I'd said repeatedly I've not found any reports about the fruit industry bang there you go and then it was right here uh in washington state and then it was especially cruel because i love cherries i mean what did we grovel and suffer through the summer and winter of this year and the rona and the quarantine and everything else why did we suffer through all of this if we're not going to get to enjoy at least chum uh cherries 
for the summertime. I mean, man, so I was right hurt to, uh, to hear that, uh, right here. Uh, so I guess if, uh, if Gusty does not make it to 2021, uh, you can suspect that he might have, uh, braved it and got some cherries and, you know, man, it has been a rough year. Uh, but even with that, that is significantly lower like the meat processing plants I have found lots and lots of reports about those industries and problems there and having to shut things down and contagions and like they had one meat processing plant where it was over 100 people were infected well over 100 people I've not heard anything on that scale with agriculture and fruit but we are in a system of racism white supremacy and Anytime you have non-white people working, probably going to be unsafe work conditions that would be conducive to all kinds of illness, sickness, disease. So, you know, it is business as usual. Uh, let's see. Speaking of fruit, cows counter racist yoga retreat. Uh, looking forward uh, for August 5th to August 9th. Uh, Hopefully there will not be any disruptions between now and then uh, with regards to the virus uh, or protests or, you know, who knows uh, with this year. We could have aliens land or anything, but hopefully things will stabilize a bit uh, over the next two months and allow us, uh, you know, a slight respite. I mean, that's five days. Hopefully we can get five days, August 5th through the 9th. Uh, We will do yoga every day, plant-based meals. Hopefully we can get non-contaminated produce uh, and have really good plant-based meals to help deal with some of the stress and anxiety of everything that's happened this year. Uh, We will do counter-racist workshops. Uh, We will do social distancing and employ all methods possible. Make sure everybody is safe uh, and doesn't take any germs, contagion. Uh, back to their residents, loved ones, all that good stuff. Uh, The updated information is on the blog, racism-notes.blogspot.com. Drop an email if you have questions, need more information. Looking forward to hanging out in the nation's capital. They might still be protesting by the time we get there. So election season, wacky time uh, to be in Washington, D.C. See if we can hang out for a little bit and have fun, have a good time, eat some good food, good yoga, get back safely, and maybe be recharged uh, for the rest of the year. Let's see. Rest of the notes. Okay. Mm-mm-mm-mm. There were a lot of reports, and there could have been a lot more. Like, we could have taken up a good 30, 40 minutes with reports on black people, and it's mostly black people. Uh, being attacked uh, the road confrontations uh, that you heard the black pastor like just a variety of different incidents uh, of black people uh, being subjected to violence and terrorism Uh, again this is a really dangerous time for many reasons Uh, the primary reason being the system of white supremacy Uh, but a really dangerous time on the plantation Uh, I would strongly encourage avoid any sort of skirmishes, altercations with whites, really anybody, but especially whites at this time, anything where it looks like, because you heard in the clip, the white woman came up and uh, you heard the victim where she said it looked like she was trying to provoke 
some sort of altercation so she could call the police or maybe she had a firearm so she could shoot and then call the police who knows uh anything like that it's time to go like right now like it is not there's no saving face there's no you're not going to talk to me like that and i got something to prove and i'm a tough if you didn't come out and that's the key situations i didn't come out with a plan of having this altercation i came out you know to get some some cherries you know i'm out here looking to see if they got fresh cherries you got fresh strawberries fresh blueberries whatever it is and then all of a sudden you come up oh i hate niggers i hate every one of them you coon you coon of the year you and whitney houston you you're you're nutritional uncle tom okay now i could get into it and you know what do you call me that's a whoa it is time to go i will have to get blueberries another day that's the mindset that we should have and be looking out for that if it looks like somebody is coming up in our space looking sounding if they're talking and saying things like time to go it's not time for dispute don't you even if you have a firearm we have listeners they already have their concealed carry great spectacular this means absolutely nothing in this setting they could have a concealed carry in fact they might have a concealed carry and five other white people with them who also have a concealed carry if you didn't come out with a plan to initiate all this and I'm ready to die right now in the next five seconds you heard the uh, sound clip where they had a protester in Albuquerque New Mexico got shot said they had the protester here in Seattle got shot had protesters in Kentucky uh, and Missouri who got shot and killed black people I'm ready to die right now in this altercation if you've already taken that position cool in the gang I'm ready to die I'm ready to go to jail whatever happens I don't care whatever it is right now let's get it on okay I think for most people that type of predicament you heard with the pastor who was the only person to be arrested at the scene a gang of race soldiers and the only person to be arrested at the scene amen religion of white supremacy that's the way that you have to be thinking particularly now I'd say really that you know is the case all the time but especially now like man it is that's the way I was thinking at the mailbox this fella could be armed I would have just tried to get to the house a little bit quicker but this fella could be armed I did not come out here to have a confrontation with a white man I did not come out here to have a duel I came to check my mailbox I don't have a gun I have a key for the mailbox that's it have that in mind it is very dangerous even that, uh, those vehicle uh, situations because I almost took the sound clip it was Irie she called in and she talked about the uh, road racism incident where some race soldier uh, was like gunning the accelerator when a black family she said it was a black mom and her offspring they were trying to go across an intersection in the crosswalk legally and they were like gunning the accelerator like oh we're gonna run the niggers over <laughs> Uh, and she said that they kind of took off after they had harassed the family. They took off and she, I think it was two of them. She said, you could see these racists in the vehicle and they're cackling about it. <laughs> and so she uh, said she kind of drove up a little bit and then they started harassing her. And I said, then anything on the road, psh, let it ride. That's what, and I believe that's what they teach in defensive driving class. 
I'm not trying to get a photograph. I don't want to keep up with them. Like, pull over nearest lit parking lot. Stop. That way, if they get out or what have you, you have a big crowd. You can call the police, get security, all of that. And some people, as opposed to being out on the side of the road, they might act a fool as opposed to coming to a big area that might change their conduct a little bit. Same mentality with enforcement officers. But let that ride. You want to get distance from them as soon as possible uh, because anything they could escalate like they see you or they just see another nigger like I had my fun with nigger A on to nigger B that could be the whole mentality that they have so distance because uh, I think you heard in the sound clip that uh, the victim uh, this black female there in their vehicle and this race soldier gets mad because they don't you know pull off uh, fast enough and he you know is honking that's why they're killing you niggers all of this stop let it go. I'm not trying to talk. I don't want any sort of altercation because you don't know. I even remember they had a clip before a white fella pulled out a machete. Said, I'll hack you up. It was a black fella. He had his child. He was trying to take his child to, uh, to school. Pulled out his machete. I'll hack you to death. And rah, rah, rah. They went and made a police. He went and made a police report and the police then gave his address. They put his address on the report. So the race soldier now has his home address that's what I mean like do anything you can increase distance get away get away get the photo of their license plate or write it down or what have you but distance I'm not trying to follow keep up nothing it is super dangerous you really you could die in like five seconds next uh, let's see man the clip uh, Cariole I think that's how you say her name Cariole Horn the former officer uh, that actually jumped on the back of a race soldier to stop him from assaulting a black citizen like wow I have heard for a number of years black officers boy you talk about coon number one black people on the police department I never hear nothing about them trying to fight against racism I said for years I've heard a lot of reports of black people who tried to do things uh, to fight against racism I don't think I've ever heard a report of a black person jumping on the back of a race soldier to stop them black self-respect a little bit right anybody here can put a hand up and say I jumped on the back of a race soldier to stop them from beating another black person high praise black self-respect former officer horn I am certain they are going to fight uh, I would use the metaphor but they are going to fight uh, as hard as as possible maximum resistance uh, to allowing her to get her pension like to what you had this nigger had the audacity not giving her a nickel <laughs> giving her give her a watch back and everything get out of here let's see uh, last thing the hangings in California so glad I remembered we had that segment talking to Dr. Welsing uh, that was just a couple days after the trial for the murder of Trayvon Martin in the summer of 2013. It reminded me, those hangings in California, Southern California, reminded me of uh, Khalid Flimban. Black male found hanging, suspicious circumstances, Orange County, California, SoCal. We talked about that case uh, several times uh, some years back on the cows. In fact, there's a documentary film. Uh, black in the OC. We had the filmmakers.
uh, as guests on the program. And we talked about that case. We talked about other uh, instances where black homeowners uh, in the Orange County area were terrorized. They would come and shoot nail guns uh, at the house and terrorize their children, call them nigger and all this stuff as they were trying to get to and from uh, school uh, back in the archives. But uh, the thing that it reminded me, the filmmakers that ended up going into a cowbell uh, because it was a black female filmmaker, but she was in a so-called tragic arrangement and uh, metaphor. And uh, yeah, her white sex partner ended up coming on that broadcast as well. But it's in the archives, Black in the OC, I think by 2013, uh, when she was a guest on the broadcast. But we talked about Khalid, uh, Khalid Flimban, uh, and there have been other uh, these hangings uh, that have taken place in the last decade, like just 2010 forward uh, that happened. You heard the one that I mentioned with Dr. Welsing and there's several others. Anywho, uh, metaphors. I asked consistently on the compensatory call-in if we could not use metaphors, if we could speak directly to what it is that we would like to say. Uh, race soldiers are phenomenal uh, at using uh, metaphors and analogies uh, to confuse uh, racism, white supremacy. One of their favorites, they said it this week, racism is alive and well. What does that mean exactly? Did they say that? Did they have any other phrases where they say that? Like, you know, uh, the Donald Trump campaign is alive and well. Do they say that? Do they say that, you know, about anything? The dairy industry is alive and well. Because I hear it all the time with racism is alive and well. Oh, yeah, it is alive. and Like they say that about once every other week or so. Do they even use that uh, little tacky cliche with anything? Is anything else alive and well? Just racism? They don't even use it in a positive manner. Like I don't even hear anybody say, oh, man, Timmy, how you doing today? I am alive and well. Anyway, if we could not use metaphors uh, for the broadcast, uh, race soldiers, master deceivers, they also they'll take metaphors and they will insist that two different concepts, two different entities are exactly the same twins. They'll do this often. Frequently, that's not the case. Uh, Master deceivers, victims, we get exposed to that sort of misconduct. You'll hear a lot of victims say racism is alive as well. Gusty included, uh, this does influence how you think, speak, act, being exposed to that sort of misconduct. And frequently, we are still learning. As such, we don't always have logic to articulate our views, so sometimes we'll substitute uh, metaphor or some kind of phrase uh, to finish our thoughts. And frequently, that just adds to confusion. Uh, again, if we could be direct, exact, specific, with our word choice uh, we'll prompt about that if you need more time to collect your words or thoughts that is always allowed and encouraged number again 605-313-5164 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you would like to participate minimize contact that should be the word uh, for the season minimize contact do not gripe grapple grouse with other victims of racism and their views on the problem Uh, first few folks who dialed in with a hand up line should be open proceed 
Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Hey, good evening, guys. Uh, Mortgage Banker from VA. Hope everybody's doing well. Um, <clears throat> I had a couple of personal things I wanted to share. Um, I was listening to the broadcast this evening, and I actually had the television on mute uh, when President Trump um, was speaking. And I just wanted to share, uh, after he did his speech, one of the announcers said, President Trump is the best offensive player I've seen in a long time. And I didn't even know what that meant, but I thought that was a remarkable metaphor um, in the context of white supremacy. Um, he had also mentioned taming the radicals, making sure that we control the wild beasts. Um, so he was definitely dog whistling the other white supremacists in the crowd and also globally as well. Um, we have a local incident here, not an incident, but it's just um, in this system, things are just tacky. So there is a, uh, a white establishment near where I live called the Barbecue Exchange. Uh, it's in Gordonsville, Virginia. And um, to celebrate Juneteenth, they decided to make fried chicken and all of the proceeds from the fried chicken are going towards a local uh, black historical association or something of that nature. So um, my question was, I was talking to other victims and other victims said, that's a good thing. And I just said, do you, in order for you to donate money, do you have to make fried chicken? Like I didn't know that was a requirement. Um, but as Gus just said, definitely don't want to get into an altercation uh, with other victims. But then the other thing I immediately thought about because uh, the broadcast has been really helpful is like, man, the best thing that they could think about black people on Juneteenth was fried chicken. Not health, not uh, wealth, not anything else was just greasy, um, <laughs> just greasy fried chicken. So that was just, um, that was interesting. Um, on my job, uh, the president of our company actually put out a memo to the company after all the events um, with the death of the black males that have consistently been happening on television. And I've been in a business for 20 years, and I actually saw an email uh, that said white supremacy. And so I had to look again and look twice, and I said, does that say in white supremacy? Um, so it was under the context of, the company matching donations to different organizations, but I was pleasantly surprised that the words were even used. Um, I do have an opinion about some of the, uh, the things that have been going on in reference to people getting together for um, Juneteenth. Um, some of the, obviously there's a lot of non-constructive activity going on. However, what I have found is, for example, I've actually shared all four of the books, the last couple of books that um, Gus has talked about uh, on the book club, um, Harry A. Washington's book, uh, Packing the Men, um, the other book in reference to black property values and the ISIS papers. And if you're going to post something about racism, white supremacy, posting those books and saying that you bought them was really, really constructive. I actually had somebody inbox me and say, hey, I'm actually going to purchase those books. Thanks for sharing them. So, And also, in reference to the Juneteenth celebration, I don't want to get too off track, but it is an opportunity if you decide to go out, even with the Rona or you're practicing social distancing, you can share ideas and qualities with younger victims, and I found it really, really constructive um, because some of those people 
this is their first exposure to white supremacy and they may not understand, you can definitely share constructive ideas. I've talked to people about the ISIS papers, Mr. Fuller. I've had people actually go to watch Mr. Fuller's work simply by me just having a conversation with them and talking about codification. So there are some, some actually some constructive ideas that are out there. If you decide uh, to venture out, obviously we're, we're, we need to stay safe. But if you're going to attend those events, attend those events, you have to have a purpose and make sure that you're going there and attempting to share constructive ideas, even at the same time we're trying to, you know, have no contact, no conflict. So I don't want to ramble too much. Uh, that's my time. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Hope everybody stands safe. Much obliged. Uh, thank you, sir, calling in from the great Commonwealth. Um, that's awesome. If you uh, attend any of those events or I guess are just in contact with other victims and you all are having constructive dialogue, especially when they are receptive. They didn't come to argue about the best way to proceed or what should be done or what shouldn't be done. Or I think, you know, selling fried chicken is great. Like, OK, <laughs> not going to have a dispute or grouse about, you know, any of that. But if you bump into folks in there, hey, I'm interested in uh, learning a little bit more to try to figure out what's going on about this. Do you have any material, any books or anything that you would recommend like whammo and you got it at the ready? Absolutely. Harriet A. Washington, medical apartheid. Wham. Harriet A. Washington, a terrible thing to waste. Bam. Awesome. Neely Fuller Jr.'s code book. Bam. The ISIS papers. Bam. Marimba Ani Urugu. Bam. I mean, just go on and on and on have it at the ready whatever books you think you know would be great for them to understand what's happening with a delectable negro mm. great time for delectable negro uh but yeah do some uh make sure you have your material uh ready particularly if you are in contact with folks who are receptive and are willing to be honest and logical about what is happening they're not just you know wanting to argue probably a lot of that going on too I would not engage in any of that not looking for arguments people that hey I'm I'm just trying to learn I'm still learning you know <laughs> like if you have some information I'll review it and see if there's anything that I can learn I'm not trying to argue and dispute and tell you what a dumb and ignorant SOB you are other folks who dialed in that we've missed totally uh, if you have a hand Hello. Greetings, aforementioned Irie. Salutations, everybody. Um, I I hope everybody's having a good evening. Um, to your point that you make at the end of the show about sobriety being best, um, I recently saw a uh, cannabis, a liquid cannabis cartridge that a friend of mine has, um, it's medicinal, and she has, you know, the cardboard and everything, but um, I looked at the cartridge, and the cannabis was uh, basically harvested and uh, treated, you know, uh, made into a resin, and guess where? Of all places in the world, Anna, Illinois. And I said, wow, like, so not only are they practicing, you know, supreme racism up there, but they figure they're going to make money, you know, uh, probably, I, I bet they thought that, like, there's going to be a bunch of, you know, non-white people buying our stuff now that it's legal in different places. So if you don't need it, don't buy it, because you might be buying it from 
from there, or I guess you have to look. Um, check the label. So, yeah, um, the police officer you mentioned, I forgot that I donated to her GoFundMe, and it's still up. But I got, like, some kind of alert um, in uh, saying that they had made some progress with her case. So I would encourage people to donate to her. Um, I also have been urging females, non-white black females, to write to um, Crystal Kaiser. Um, her name is K-H-R-U-S-T-U-L and then uh, K-I-Z-E-R. Um, she was sex- sexually trafficked by a white male um, for some time. And she snapped, she killed him, she burned the house down with a minute, stole his car. But she was um, basically uh, a victim of trauma throughout her life. And uh, when I saw her story, they mentioned that uh, another white supremacist found out about her in, in jail, wherever he is, in Kenosha, uh, Wisconsin, and started writing her. And he's been claiming her as his girlfriend. So we need all the... Black feminine energy as positive as possible to to thwart this. Hopefully, I don't know. It's the only constructive thing I can think to do. I've written to her. I haven't gotten a reply, but they they say she does write back. She's an artist, and she um you can send her brand new unsealed art supplies. But um since Black Lives Matter, you know, black women, can we get together and do this to save this young lady from getting her mind, you know, getting more confused? Um. What else? Uh, there was a, I caught the tail end of a call. I think it was last weekend. I haven't been able to really call in, but I caught the tail end and a female caller was saying, should she joke about someone being racist on the job? I would discourage that because, you know, the code says, um, and I admit I got the code book, not the word guy, but I know the code says something about not saying that someone is racist. You can't say that. Um, and an example I would give her if she's listening or if she will listen is, um, when I was, um, in the military, um, something kind of similar happened where I had, a um, an NCO basically refer that New Orleans should be blown up. And then he said Louisiana should be blown up. Um, and this was like right after the storm and we had to switch, um, duty stations because obviously, you know, New Orleans was affected severely. And I took offense to it naturally and there was another non white person there that was from Louisiana, not New Orleans, but Louisiana. And he saw my face, I saw his I've always been one to say what I had to say. So I replied to him. I said, you know what? And while we at it, why don't we put a fence around Texas and blow that up since y'all like to drag people in the streets so their heads fall off. And then immediately, every NCO that was there, like, formed, they, they were like, Pierre, you can't say that. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh, what? Like, what do you mean he gets to tell me all this other stuff and come at me? And he knows that's where my family's from and da-da-da. You just can't do it. It don't work. I got in trouble for it. Um, and I'm not saying the consequence would be that, you know, to that degree or whatever, and I'm not saying she's in the military either. It's just a fact. You can't come back at them with the same energy or the same tactic. It just ends up not working. Um, the next thing I was going to say, 
uh, I think it's best for non-white people who have property or if, if, if you are in a family where someone has a property or a house that's big enough for everybody to be in right now, I think that would be the wisest thing for people to conglomerate so you can have a position you can try to defend if something happens. Um, you know, everybody isn't that fortunate. I'm not that fortunate right now. You know, we can't protect ourselves, but it's not our, you know, air quotes, it's not our home or property. But if you have that ability to team up with your family and be in one place and y'all travel together, shop together, whatever, I think that's the best thing because these people, these races are moving in groups. That, you know, so we need to move in groups, too, and we need to stay within a group to insulate and just get your supplies, games in order, make sure you got what you need to defend yourself, stay less than necessary to anybody that isn't in the family, and definitely minimize contact with racists um, wherever they are, badge or no badge. And I'll, um, I'll end my turn. Thank you. Sobriety would be best. Can you believe it? Anna, Illinois. My goodness. Reading, that's another reason. Reading is more important than watching television. I would that wouldn't have meant anything if she had said that, you know, before I read uh James Lowen's Sundown Towns. Uh this came from Anna, Illinois. That's, oh really? How close is that to Chicago? Hmm, okay. Anna, Illinois. Hmm. Now it's oh wow wow those anagrams and wow why are they sending cannabis all the way to New Orleans from ain't no niggas allowed Illinois like what the anyway I am reminded of Dr. Welsing on that same program with Trayvon Martin cannabis came up because that was a part of the whole uh, Trayvon Martin murder thing but cannabis came up and she talked about that and she said something that sounds similar to what that idiot said sobriety would be best uh, she says you don't even know where it's coming from hmm I don't think she thought Anna Illinois that's where it would be coming from but she just said in general you don't even know where it's coming from anyway great suggestions uh, if you have the ability to kind of be more in a group Uh, If you can codify that and that way you can kind of maybe together help try to protect each other a little bit better and maybe go out in a group as opposed to being isolated uh, where it might be a little easier uh, to be attacked. But be vigilant. I know some other people had called in about that as well and saying that they had wished that they could get that type of situation where they could be kind of with some other family members and not be isolated so they could feel a little bit more safe and have a better kind of group security effort uh, I did also want to say dog whistling is a metaphor that was used previous caller uh, and even taming the beast that is a metaphor but he said that was what was used by our president Donald Trump that is the type of language four more years he said he goes to Tulsa Oklahoma because I believe that's where he is today Tulsa Oklahoma taming the beast he was talking about these leftist radicals and all that. FOMO years, no doubt. Uh, let's see. Number again, 605-313-5164. B 
the code 564-943-POUND, press star 61 if you would like to participate. That is the funniest thing ever. Uh, just get this in really quick. Ivory was talking about um, our female caller in Colorado, Mountain Time. She called in last week and yesterday for workplace racism. And we talked about that, her scenario of uh, maybe joking back with a coworker and calling him a racist. And we talked about that BGQ. Uh, people had different opinions about uh, the best way to, to proceed with that. But that is so funny. It just keeps coming back up, keeps coming back up. That's fascinating. But workplace racism is important. I'm glad people are thinking about the best strategies and the best way to employ logic in their workplace environment. Other folks who dialed in with a hand up, proceed. Hello, good night. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Hi, good evening, everyone. Um, so I have fireworks um, where where I am, like, all the time. Um, I live in a mostly uh, non-white neighborhood. So I don't I don't know uh, what's going on, because I think, I, I think there's supposed to be some kind of coronavirus thing happening, but it doesn't seem to be... Uh, <laughs> it doesn't seem like that um, with... Um, the way I see people acting right now. Um, but what I wanted to comment on was, um, I think you played a clip talking about um, children um, with the coronavirus and the protesting and how it's um, been impacting them. And what I've been doing, and I don't know if what I've been doing is correct <laughs> or constructive, but I have a five-year-old that's going to be six six um, soon I have a three-year-old daughter and a five-year-old son and I he 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 doesn't seem too affected by the coronavirus um you know he knows that there's a virus out there and that's why we're not that's why we're social distancing and stuff like that um but the protesting I haven't shown shown any of my children that at all like don't they don't even know who George Floyd is like the protest, the police brutality thing. Like I haven't spoken to him about it or my small daughter, um, but I do talk to my son about racism, white supremacy, and you know what it means to be white, what it means to be black, and stuff like that. But I haven't really, um, really um, shared this uh, news with him. Me personally, I keep up with the news, uh, but I, I I try to stay away from watching the actual videos of these murders. Um, yeah, I was um, curious um, if, uh, you know, what people think about that, if they think it's something good or bad, or if, if, if they think that, because I think the, the clip before was saying that, um, you know, it's something that, like, like the children should know what is going on, but at the same time, I'm thinking, if something like that will impact them, like, make them pee the bed or are scared or something like that, you know, like, I wouldn't want, you know, my children to, to be like that or, or to feel like that especially to me at this time in their life, they're like, you know, toddlers. I, I could see if they were maybe like um, a bit older. Um, what I've been experiencing myself about anti-blackness, um, I think you mentioned that, you didn't mention anti-blackness, but um, like uh, arguments with black people or non-white people when it comes to um, racism, white supremacy, and how to approach it. As a matter of fact, like, 
I'm like, uh, I think when this, this, this protesting thing um, kicked off, you know, um, I had a friend of mine, and I use this word loosely, um, <laughs> sent me a voice note, you know, and he's like, you know, um, you know this, this protesting is going, is going on, you know, and um, like, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? I don't see you go out, out there doing anything. I don't see you doing anything. What are you doing? And, um, That's what I have to say. Um, thanks for letting me share. Can I be heard? Hello? I can hear you. Oh, okay, great. Um, thanks for um, sharing. Um, yeah, I saw... First, I wanted to say, um, Gus, Striking Vipers, um, Black Mirror, the star, Anthony Mackie, his older brother is a black inventor and engineer. He invented the overhead compartments for the Boeing passenger jets, and he also has a patent for liquid-cooling batteries for gaming laptops, so uh, his brother is um, a genius, so to speak. Um, Tonight, um... Trump blasted Joe Biden on his record you know, for decades of betrayal, and um, he was making that a reference to black voters. Um, but I did notice uh, white people, Black Lives Matter protesters, were confronting the Trump supporters leaving the venue in Tulsa and trying to um, cause an altercation. Uh, so I expect that to be every rally um, coming this summer. Um, the lynching in New York City, um, in the borough of Manhattan where I live, at um, Fort Tryon Park, which is, um, I know the entrance, I've gone into the park on this 200 Street and Broadway. Um, they call it the Dykeman area or the Inward area. Um, very, It's very close to me, not a far proximity. Um, it's a mostly Dominican, but it has a small section of whites. Ironically, near they live near that park. Um, big time drug area, um, wholesale and resale, one of the largest probably in the country. So I say that just to say that they're under total surveillance at all times. Um, there's always uh, investigations and um, stuff going on up there. So um, a correctional officer posted the pictures online before he called the police, and I think he got fired, probably non white. Um, but. Um, you know, for the body to stay there that long, no one knows anything in that area. Very suspicious. And then I'm going to call it a suicide. Um, two brothers in California, um, the two mentions in Texas, one of them was a black man. Um, you know, it's been a lot, I think, four or five this week. Um, and um, every one of them has been ruled a suicide, even the 17-year-old in Texas, which I just don't see a 17-year-old going to the park to hang themselves. Um, 
Then they have five nooses hanging from a tree in Oakland. So, you know, this is white people doing what they do. Um, played a clip on gentrifying, gentrifying prisons, I think they said, uh, or de-gentrifying prisons while they gentrify the neighborhoods where the prisoners live. So uh, who knows where they'll be going home to. Um, last year, you had the infamous Popeye's chicken craze. Um, the sandwich, um, the rival um, post that was went from Popeye's to Chick-fil-A, which said, y'all good? That's what started it. Um, and, of course, in the voice of the black woman with the southern accent um, who does the speaking on the commercial was the implication, and I'm using that, those words in the text, just two words, y'all good. Um, so Quaker Oats decides which is Quaker Oats is really Pepsi. They decide they want to do away with Aunt Mama. Now Mars, uh, they want to get rid of Aunt Uncle Ben's um, for the same reasons. Uh, just like just last year, it was y'all good. Um, but I guess um, now they want to do away with those images. Um, and it was ironic, just came a couple days after rapper entrepreneur Master P came out with his new product called Uncle P's White Rice. <laughs> where he's kind of um, taking a play on Uncle Ben's. Very interesting. Uh, I saw an almost two-hour video of a police encounter um, in the murder of a black male in Georgia, Mr. Rishon Brooks. And I just have to say, uh, what you say every show, Gus, sobriety would be best. And um, to add a code is necessary um, in a system of white supremacy. Uh, we've been at a race war since at least 1492. Uh, we're under hostile occupation, fighting the cops trying to cuff you, running, taking the taser, shooting it at them. Just you know, and I'm very suspicious as to uh, what do they expect white race so- soldiers to do going forward. <laughs> you know, well, this seems like something that police usually get away with. Um, so. I'll, I'll be very suspicious to see this go any further than the grand jury. Um, lastly, um, Trump keeps talking about one thing. I mean, uh, he, he, he keeps making a statement, black people. He has the lowest black unemployment rate of any president in American history. And I just find it to be so funny because he must not be counting uh, anyone from Lincoln down to George Washington where they had a zero black unemployment rate. Um, doing slavery. Um, so his little um, unemployment rate thing, I don't get why he doesn't get challenged on that. And I'm here my line thinking. I don't think uh, George Washington. Where are the cherries, man? The cherry tree. They got a lot of mythologies, lies, they call them. Uh, I don't think President Washington uh, or quite a few of the other ones, Andrew Jackson, I don't think they tolerated shiftless niggers, like just getting on the dole, as they say, waiting for my government benefits. I don't think they tolerated that during their administrations. I could be, you know, a little shabby in my U.S. history, but yeah, that's, that is probably accurate, Thomas, in New York. Uh, the number again, 605-313- 64 be code 564943 pound
press star 61 if you would like to participate. Noted that they got rid of Uncle Ben's this week. I think Miss Buttersworth, too. Like, wow, earth shatter. We're almost there. They said it would take 5,000 years, and here we are in the blink. If anything, another illustration I have seen where they have talked about and said, oh my gosh, Uncle Ben's is racist, and, you know, uh, Aunt Jemima, all that is racist, and they've got exhibits and all this stuff. All it takes, white people. Ah, uh, yeah, I think we'll go ahead and and that's it. No protesting. You don't have to roll around in the street. Make a decision, and that is done. Moving forward, white people could solve this problem today. They don't want to. They love to clown, and this year they have clowned like no, like no other time. They love to clown and give the appearance that they are against racism, as opposed to just replace racism with justice no more Uncle Ben's Miss Buttersworth Aunt Jemima I think in Canada I don't even know the name of the fella but I think it's uh, Sam's he has some sort of product that's the same thing named after a black 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 person uh, named Sam but they're doing the same thing not going to have any more Sam's I mean they got all kinds of you know goofy product like the Redskins, are we, if we have a season, are they going to be allowed to go forward? Washington Redskins, Cleveland Indian, like how much are we, you know, talking about changing here? Is Andrew, are we going to get that Tubman? Are we going to get the Tubmans uh, accelerated? You know, how much are we really talking about changing here? Anyway, uh, let's see. Other folks who dialed in, uh, if you have a hand up, commentary to share, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Uh, greetings, retired firefighter. Greetings, Gus. Greetings to everyone. Uh, just uh, just had a thought that uh, the uh, there's been a lot of uh, activity going on, especially over this past week on racism, but I'll put it in the term of a question. What has been effectively done about the global system of white supremacy? Uh, probably nothing at all. Uh, an example, I was uh, just uh, going through some channels on the uh, television set it came upon the NFL channel and what is being shown not football not nothing about football they actually had a documentary that I've seen countless numbers of times before in the past uh, they had a documentary on what was identified as the massacre at South Carolina State College, it was called at the time, in 1968. It's a, it's a, uh, it, it, it's a good documentary, but nevertheless, that, that's what was on uh, the NFL channel. And uh, you can take up the entire three-hour program with examples of things like that that white people are 
doing uh, as far as uh, the uh, uh, presentation of racism. And, but as far as doing, the doing part, uh, nothing that I have seen, unless somebody can tell me different, I'm open for, I'm open, welcome, I will welcome that. Uh, but I haven't seen any effective, uh, thing to do that, that is done to effectively, uh, neutralize the system of racism in this only functional form white supremacy. Uh, I, uh, recall hearing a, uh, non-white female, I believe who, uh, earlier in the program, uh, asked for, she either asked for someone's, for our different ideas on with children about racism, I believe. Uh, I would say you can, you can, you can share with them, uh, uh, racism without showing the, uh, the, uh, reports that are on television. Uh, you don't, you really don't have to, to go there, you know, with the actual killing of a black person, that sort of thing. Uh, you can, you know, just sit, sit with them and, and converse and talk with them, uh, in a way that they would understand, uh, about, uh, racism, white supremacy without having to show those, uh, horrific, uh, photographs or horrific, uh, uh, motions that uh, everybody has seen on television. Uh, that can basically come later, a little bit later. I, I think I remember, I recall the ages of the children. I think she said one was three years old and the other one, the other one was five. Uh, you know, just, you know, have a talk, talk to them about uh, uh, racism, you know, from, you know, your own, thoughts and some experiences, that sort of thing. As far as that gory type of visual situation, that can come later. That can come later. That's my uh, suggestion. Thank you. Much obliged, retired firefighter. Heck, the, uh, the NFL, like, shame on them. Like, they do not see they gonna go and say, Well, let's go to old Ben Tillman State and show you about how bad they did the colored folks down in South Carolina, the uh, Orangeburg's massacre, I think they call it at one time or something close to that. We've talked about yeah. that before. Yeah. But man, you could be ta- why do we have to have a Rooney rule in two thousand twenty in the NFL? And why are we giving out some lame apology about saying Colin Kaepernick was right and maybe we shouldn't oughtn't have fussed at folks about all this kneeling? Maybe we should have been 
uh, supporting people who were trying to tell us racism, white supremacy is a problem. Why don't they talk about that? That would be much better than let's go back in the catacombs and dust off this 50 year old footage uh, about how the Negros were mistreated a long time ago and not even by NFL Negros, just random mistreat. I mean, that you could have picked footage of South Africa and, you know, anything like uh, racial focal pointing. See, they always misdirect. It's not going to be maybe Roger Goodell is a part of this problem. Yeah, let's let's talk about that for the next hour. We'll get to the draft and Tom Brady with the Bucks and all that, but we're going to talk about that. No. Why do we still have a Rooney rule? Can we not find any qualified Negroes to coach a team? Is it that much brain damage? Yeah. Anyway. Right. Uh, the re- suggestions, man, excellent. I'm not a parent. I always say that and give a deliberate pause, like no qualifier, like I'm not going to get on here and act like, you know, I am an expert about how to rear some chillin'. I am not. Um, but I do think that that is super logical to, you know, not have your children in front of that sort of content where they're showing black people being killed and uh, all of that. I think that makes a lot of sense to try, especially uh, at that age. I know in the clip they were talking about, I think if they're, you know, 10, 12, 13, I mean, that's totally different. And, you know, you're not going to be able to keep them from that information at that age. So we're talking a totally different, uh, totally different approach. But at that young age, oh, yeah, forget that. And and I think a retired firefighter, great point. Uh, you can have those discussions, which it sounds like she said she was already doing, at least with the five-year-old, uh, talking to her offspring about white supremacy, racism, just not with all the, the gory images and what have you, talking to them about what it means to be white and what it means to be classified as black. She's already having those conversations, and they can they can pick that up. Like, I've seen that repeatedly. Like, the brain computer, it works well. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's any benefit to all of that. I think, yeah, nothing, nothing that's going to have them all traumatized and, you know, all the rest of it. Like it's no need that that day is coming anyway. I think at that age, just focusing on, you know, breastfeeding and making sure they're great, having fun, doing well, getting lots of quality rest and lap time with mom and dad, all that sort of thing. So yeah, not, uh, I would not be trying to expose them to that at this age. But if we have any parents, if you're with us, if you have thoughts, ideas around that, the best way to go about uh, with the ages, again, three and five. If you want to share about if you have older children, that's great, too, because we, then we'll have a wealth of perspective. Uh, but if we have parents, we'd be grand to share. Don't uh, spectate if we have parents to respond to that. Uh, let's see. Other folks who dialed in, if you have a hand up commentary to share, line should be open proceed uh gus can i get 30 seconds we're we're, we're timing you exactly 29 (laughs) okay uh this this is this is this was a uh a dr welsing suggestion uh because you can talk about racism first of all with children by emphasizing to them that it's nothing wrong with the melanin in your skin, your hair, your eyes, all of those different features that the white supremacists over centuries have ridiculed and, and made us made a lot of us hate our features. Uh, that would be the first thing that I would do with a three-year-old and a five-year-old. Thank you. Black self-respect. Mm-hmm. Black self-respect respect 
Dr. Welsing would approve. Uh, let's see. Other folks uh, who are with us, if we missed you, if you have commentary, and again, parents, no lollygagging, no spectating. If you have a thought how you have approached this with your offspring, let us know. Folks, we've missed totally. Proceed. while we're waiting for folks to get together again we will be here tomorrow we'll have our global Sunday talk on racism we'll be here on Monday June 22nd Dr. Martin Kevorkian will look for admitted white supremacists Dr. Martin Kevorkian uh, he'll be back with us I think some of our listeners at least got uh, a free copy of his book Uh, I know I did got my copy right here color monitors I'm going to have to go and flip through to find the section uh, on Terminator uh, to discuss for this coming Monday. Looking forward. If you have offspring, definitely do not share the hate you give. Uh, I know when I go to the library, they'll have that book like featured, you know, and they have like their display and books that they want to show off. That book is prominently featured. I always, I grab it and hide it like every time. I know they have it like, man, that book ends up missing more often. Yep, yep, deliberately so. That is my little act. Uh, against racism, white supremacy, or if they have to read that book, because I know it's required reading in a lot of schools and such, brilliant opportunity to discuss. We have our little uh, study guide, if you will, uh, with the Cows Book Club when we read the book, and then Dr. Kovorkian can add to that this coming Monday. Uh, but you can read it and ask questions about, you know, lots of different ways. Yeah, lots of ways. The way that they talk about the uh, Black Panther Party and the so-called tragic arrangement lots of approaches uh, with that text but generally I would say yeah find better material you can talk to them yourself or watch things point out the news lots of approaches uh, if they are younger forget all that just use logic make sure that they can sleep well one thing I did want to make sure that I share now that we have about 30 minutes a little less left in the broadcast uh, there was another illustration uh, race soldiers kind of waiting before they release information I pointed this out frequently they'll have information sometimes it might be information about something that a non-white person did that was not constructive or all kinds of things and they'll wait as opposed to releasing that information immediately they'll wait sometimes a year or so they did this with Ray Rice Uh, I think they did this with Al Sharpton they waited until it was the middle of like the Ferguson uh, disruptions 2014 said, oh my goodness Al Sharpton has got tax return problems and I was like what, what is, and this is front page now uh, they had all the publicity about the documentary on the Bulls The Last Dance with Michael Jordan and I thought this was like a pretty extraordinary example of this racists having information and they'll wait to use it in a manner that supports white supremacy racism so they did all of this conflict between uh, Michael Jordan and Isaiah Thomas and bickering and rah, 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 squabbling back and forth. Victims squabbling with victims. Said they would minimize contact. Let's try to minimize all that. So that becomes a big part of this. And they're 30 years later still mad and squabbling about all this. 
And so Michael Jordan has said, you know, I didn't do anything to keep him off the Olympic team and no way. And we're not the best of buddies, but I didn't do that. Ran, ran, ran. He says that all in the film and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So they wait till the whole documentary film is over. And all this is, you know, stuff that they're talking about that happened 30 years ago. So they wait till it all ends. And they say, oh, wait a minute. It looks like we've unearthed a recording of Michael Jordan from 30 years ago saying he wouldn't play on the team if Isaiah Thomas was there. Oh, that no-count liar. Oh, dirty Michael George. So you've been sitting on this audio for 30 years and now is the time like they do this sort of thing on a regular basis. Mr. Fuller talks about this specifically in the uh, code book uh, about sometimes they will reveal something that's true but they will do so for incorrect purposes uh, to promote harm or somewhat of kind of way, confusion, that type of thing. They regular basis, regular basis, like just 30 years. You could have released this tape like 2000, 1995. We could have, you know, ended all of that. No speculation, moved on and talked about other things. Nope. And then wait till the end of the documentary after he said, oh, no, I didn't. Woo, racists. Uh, and then again, just the minimizing conflict very important I think this happened in 2013 with Trayvon Martin and it was a number of other uh, incidents 2014 with the Ferguson situation where it becomes really stressful where there's a lot of focus on white supremacy racism uh, and it's you see these type of uh, videos the audio of black people being killed and abused and beaten and that sort of thing it just produces a lot of anxiety what ends up happening a lot of times is we end up getting frustrated with other black people and how they're responding, what they're doing, what they're not doing in dealing with all of this. And I would really resist that urge. I remember back in 2016, it was Sheriff Clark and that sort of thing. It was a lot of that sort of rhetoric uh, that black people don't fight back and we're cowards. That's a common one. I think they even had some rhetoric that black people deserve President Trump. This is from 2016 because we didn't do enough to fight against racism. It'll do a lot of things blaming victims. I even heard some of that this week. George Floyd, you know, he did what he did and he deserved, you know, resist the urge to squabble with other victims uh, who have different views about even if their views don't make sense are not logical uh, if they're just you know using positions or taking views of racists this person is a victim that happens to all of us no need to argue and squabble with this person because they're probably not going to be very logical so I'll just minimize contact as best I can and VGQ that would be the best route and even I think that's the best route for self care because I think a lot of times you get in these you know I don't even know exchanges we'll call them you get in these exchanges and it doesn't change their perspective doesn't change your perspective you all just argue and holler for whatever 45 minutes an hour 15 minutes whatever it is blood pressure is elevated and all the rest of it you know and a lot of times that stuff has an impact where you can end up being disgruntled about that for you know a good 30 minutes 40 minutes I said before I am a Vitamix owner that 40 minutes of squabbling with you I could have found a really good smoothie recipe soup recipe dessert recipe like all kinds of things I could have made a really nice salad dressing like I do not have time to be 
messing around with you, victim of racism, if you're not receptive. That's what I emphasize consistently. If you got somebody there asking questions, even if they don't have the same viewpoint, but they're listening, they are receptive. They are not just waiting for you to finish speaking so that they can argue with you and call you names. They're receptive. That's different. But if this is someone who's not really being logical and you can see, okay, you've got a lot of the race soldiers way of thinking about this minimize contact. Let's see. Uh, other folks who are with us. Uh, let's see. Our caller at Yeah. May I be heard? Yes, sir. Oh, Hey, um, cause I was, um, I guess I was uh, a few days ago. I saw the companies, and it shows you just how uh, white folks like to be tacky. Like the Aunt Jemima Company, Uncle Ben's, and Miss Butterworth. Yeah, I can see these companies want to change the names of these uh, products, but it, but I haven't heard any reports of any of these three companies going out and hiring black people and giving them high positions and promotions and saying when we hire them, we're going to eliminate workplace racism. That shows you that they're just not uh, really serious about ending this problem because changing the names of those companies, I'm sorry, sorry, changing the name of those products isn't going to do anything for black folks. Me, myself, I don't even eat that stuff anyway. But I'd rather see, you know, them give uh, black people, you know, come on there and say, well, we're going to give black people high-paying jobs and promotions. You know, that would help the black uh, 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 help fight racism, white supremacy better than their worthless just changing names of, of these products. And also, too, and it's, this also goes along with, uh, I think, workplace, because yeah, driving in the cars, you know, when you know when white people, you know, you know, aggravate you. The best thing I could suggest is to have a camera in your car. You know, you can invest in a camera that records the video camera. You know, just the lights and plates and everything. You know, so you won't get you know have a record of being harassed on the road. Yeah, that should help you too. That's all I had. I'll mute my line. Much obliged. They do have all kinds of uh, amazing technology. It is 2020, almost 2021, really. Uh, so the car, like t- camera gadgets, if you don't want to try to stumble and fumble to get your phone and uh, all of that, if you have the mount and your phone can do it, great. But I'm sure they probably do have all kinds of, you know, awesome gadgetry gadgetry uh, that would do that. So you can get a photograph because that's really all you need. You can get an image of the vehicle, license plate, call that in and report it and that's why I said you could do that and then distance pull over stop and let them head way down the road I would agree about the symbolic gesture uh, in terms of removing these image no more Uncle Ben's and Miss Buttersworth and all the rest of it it would be way better uh, we're going to hire black people exactly as you said we, we're, in fact the black people that we have now all are getting big time raises and promotions and all the rest of it I mean they could do a lot more uh, which is white people in the system of racism just a lot of symbolic uh, nonsense uh, to keep us confused uh, number again 605 
313-513-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Again, if we have uh, other parents, let us know uh, in terms of uh, what you share, if anything, uh, with your offspring. Uh, it, I guess it would be age appropriate, but that would be good. If we have parents again, do not spectate. We have about 15 minutes left in the broadcast. Uh, if we have other folks that we have uh, missed totally, others who have commentary they would like to share in the last 15, proceed. Hey, I'll be heard. Greetings, caller in Florida. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to that's the host, the listeners and callers. Um, I want to first begin with the, I think it was on the audio segment where the, I believe they interviewed the white man that, uh, that drove up next to the black family in the crosswalk, I believe. Uh, and it, it looks like he was trying to He was trying to be, excuse me. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Cause I'm tight. He was trying to be compassionate and act like he hadn't practiced racism previously. I think that was the same person they was uh, speaking to. Like, oh, I'm just so sorry and I don't know what was going on and they're threatening me and my family. Uh, just the, the quick change and shift to that act of deception. Um, that's definitely one thing I, I wanted to keep track of. And I have some reports here locally. The first is there was a dispatcher at the County Sheriff's department, uh, Speaking of technology, one of the uh, uh, black female activists, I guess, uh, here locally, screen captured or uh, took a screenshot of a comment that she made toward her and uh, some other black activists saying that, oh, well, you all, you people need to learn how to use better grammar. And if you try to call, I'm not going to. I'm not going to send out help to you in a life or death situation. So basically made a threat and she captured the comment on Facebook. All right. So a day or two later, it was all out all over the news. And apparently the person was fired. This person was fired. And the next person, this happened right after that at the utility um, center for the city or the regional area, she posted a comment. I think it was to the uh, the lady that was up in North Carolina, the race soldier. Uh, and it was an image, both of these white women, right? So this, this person posted uh, an image that says, you know what? Back in my day, we lynched niggers and we didn't just joke about it. So 
basically they screenshot that one. Um, and the mayor, he got on TV or whatever and said that she's she's been suspended and she's given due process or something like that. All right, so these two happened in one week. And then the white woman, this white woman, tried to say that, oh, well, my husband hacked onto my account. Now, people on the line, if, if you're familiar with um, race soldiers making these comments on social media, that's been an excuse you before. All right, uh, and my my next one is at the University of Florida, apparently, they're going to stop. They're going to discontinue using the chant Gator Bait because of the history um, of racism of black babies uh, being used as alligator bait. So I don't know who exactly uh, brought it to their attention, but I know people have been saying this for years. And apparently a lot of white people are upset. They are, I guess, giving back their tickets or trying or getting refunds for their season tickets for the football season or whatever. And I guess they're making it where they have to, all of the students have to take some kind of racial equity uh, exam or test or whatever before the, the semester starts in the fall. But 2017, they just had where they had the Nazis marching downtown and Richard Spencer was allowed by the same president um, of, of U.S. to come to the Performing Arts Center. And he had state troopers and surrounding county sheriffs protecting one guy, one, one person. Now, that was just 2017. So now all of a sudden, okay, well, well, we'll just stop using the Gator the gator Bait chant. All right. And my last thing I wanted to point out is, I don't know if anybody's been hearing this, but this term Karen that's been used, uh, this is another just tacky, silly name, and it's childish, and it's not addressing the problem is racism, and a white woman is practicing racism, racist woman. But, yeah, they're using this term Karen whenever they catch a white woman on a video. And it's, like, super silly, in my opinion. Uh, but other than that, thanks for allowing me to share, and I'll meet my line. Much obliged, caller in Florida. Uh, I, I concur about the... I just don't see the value of... Anytime you see a white woman practicing racism to just label her a Karen, uh, just has a very unserious, uh, illogical, really, uh, feel to it. Uh, I think, number one, white people for centuries have practiced racism with anonymity where they don't get named. They have all those lynching photographs and don't know who this person is, don't know who that is, blah, 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 and that type of thing. And, you know, of course they didn't get punished or anything. Can we call them by their proper name? Her name is not Karen. Let's call her by her direct name. Amber Geiger, not Karen. I think that makes a lot more sense. Uh, and like I said, it just, it seems to have a really cartoonish 
uh, feel because they were doing some of that previously and they were kind of making up just uh, strange names. Uh, it would be like uh, Patty Enforcement and that type of thing. And the person's name would be like Rebecca. Like what? what is this? In my view, it's just more of not taking it serious, particularly not taking the role of white women serious in the practice of white supremacy racism Uh, I would love to know what is on the racial equity test like if you fail it does that mean they rescind your admission to the university like you have to take it again did they put you in remedial racial equity like your freshman year like what what is on this does it include why we no longer say the the gator bait uh, chant at the football games I'm not surprised at all that there was a legion of white people I'm done I'm done we had that coon Obama and now we can't say Gator <laughs> I, 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 I'm done I'm done you can take my tickets back I'm totally done I'm done Steve Spurrier walked away I'm done too four more years four more years uh, and I have a hard time believing like you said it's just 2017 that you know Richard, Richard Spencer got a parade down here tax dollars hard at work providing security for a suspected race soldier um now oh george floyd has allowed us to see the incorrectness of our way we here at the university of florida support the negra and will no longer back these racist chants no more gator baby i mean really really you had that much enlightenment with the rona and george floyd you just found out about this like really we had uh the slave museum uh the folks that came here uh in philadelphia the ragsdales gwen and jay justin ragsdale they were here and they talked about that a decade ago and they've been doing this work a long time i'm sure they didn't just discover this in the 2000s like i white people are not ignorant in fact they went and studied from white people. They talked when they came on the program. They went and talked about going and hanging out with these white people. And they were the ones who were telling them about all this. They didn't, you know, just, they were not just born with melanin and have knowledge about all of this. They went to study. Where do you go to study to learn about all this? Where do you go to study to learn about all this? The experts. The people whose grandfathers and uncles and fathers were the ones who were out there doing the gator bait. Anybody else comments they need to make sure they get in before we wrap things up? Copy heard. Thomas in New York. Yes, Gus. Um, yeah, it seems like um, Karen's the new Felicia. Um, you know, um, NBA players. They need to be more codified, I believe. Um, you know, one of the problems with not having a code, um, private messenger each other, stay out the media with um, your plans on social justice or whatever they want to call what they're going to try to do. Um, if you're going to play or not play or whatever, uh, all you're doing is giving Disney and Fox a whole lot to talk about in the morning as opposed to um, sitting, you know, coming together and coming up with a plan, whether it's going to work or not, but at least, you know, coming together and doing it. Uh, I was at the supermarket yesterday, and um, I was online, and I saw um, a person, a black male, 
the people that work at the supermarket are all um, Spanish-speaking people, um, and uh, they were escorting a black male out, um, apparently trying to steal. And it's a black male I've seen around um, asking for change a few times, so um, he was probably in there doing something he shouldn't have been doing. However, um, he, left, he left the store, and about five minutes later, he came back and threw a brick through the supermarket window. And uh, when the glass broke, it struck a young black child. And the uh, Spanish-speaking people that work at the supermarket went running outside after the black guy. He just walked away. He didn't try to run. It was like, I did it and what? And um, they didn't, you know, they were trying to hold him there for the police to come. Um, police are not responding. Um, due to their problems with being defunded. Um, so they just ride up and keep going. Um, either way, um, being that the police weren't responding long enough, that the guys started throwing punches, they tackled him, and then everyone from the neighborhood, or black people, went and started jumping on the Spanish guys for beating up the black guy, even though he just threw a brick through the window and struck a black kid with the glass. And Either way, tensions are very high this summer. Um, and like you said earlier, and police are not going to be responding um, to calls like they used to, based off of the defunding, and they're, they're feeling like, you know, we'll show them. So just be very careful. I do my life. Thank you, Gus. Four more years. Four more years. I think I just told someone I'm not really into all the theory and such because everybody has a theory on, you know, what this virus is going to do and we're all going to have to get, you know, vaccines and be microchipped. And I'm not really into hearing a whole lot of people's guesswork. Like, it's hard enough even just trying to figure out, like, what's going to happen today and tomorrow. But that is going to be the rest of the summer. Like, I do not think. The protests in the street and the attacks against black people, I don't think there's going to be any relent to any of that uh, through the summer may go all the way to the election. This is an election season. Uh, and this type of thing has happened before uh, where they have tacky cliches, call it the long, hot summer. I think that sort of thing is frequent in the election years. 2016 was similar, uh, but I think this will probably be consistent. Um, Reminded me, Mr. Fuller says frequently when we resort to counterviolence, when you don't have a code, frequently it just results in other black people being harmed. Even when we say we're so-called sticking it to the man and woman, we just end up getting other black people harmed. That is very common. And that whole incident, I did just do that broadcast talking about defunding the police. That is not going to solve any problems for black people that will not solve the micro problem of police abusing and killing black people it will not solve the bigger problem macro as they say of white supremacy racism it won't even get close it is exactly what we talked about in that exactly what he just shared is exactly they will sit back and watch they might not even do that they'll say they defund the police so they'll just observe from afar with binoculars oh the negras are at it again Look at them go. Mm, mm, mm. Lots of different ways that they can win in the system of white supremacy racism. That would be another illustration of why I say it is kind of dangerous out in the plantation this here year. I would be real strategic and real alert if things, anything, anything looks like, uh uh-oh, 
Time to get out of here immediately. Any other folks have commentary before we conclude? Hello, good night. Can you hear Yes, ma'am. Um, yeah, I just want to say um, thank you for the suggestions um, for everyone that um, gave me some input. That's it. Parenting is tough work. Anybody else have commentary? Be satisfied? Uh, I showed my twins good uh, goodbye on Bhutan when they were like six. Because I wanted them to see um, exactly what white people did to us. So uh, I guess it's to, you know, to each his own, but you know, I didn't see an age limit on uh, when, it, when you got to start countering racism. <laughs> I think you got to start it out the womb, just like white supremacy. Like the white supremacists come right out the womb. So um, that, that that's my suggestion. I, I don't hide it. Right on. We have directly talked to some of the race soldiers who said, you know, they are real direct about what is happening here with their offspring from, you know, day one (laughs) from birth. So, uh, yeah, just have to figure out what is going to be best and what will be healthiest for your child. I am a big advocate of children, whatever's going to allow them to be able to sleep well and all that good stuff. But being honest as well because we need truth we get too much too much lies and deception and that is wow dangerous so all about truth and what have you but young age be mindful age appropriate we say that regularly age appropriate whatever you think that is age appropriate uh we will be here tomorrow uh global sunday talk on racism uh so it'll be 3 p.m eastern 2 p.m central 1 p.m. Mountain, 12 noon Pacific. Uh, We'll have our folks uh, from different parts of the planet on the broadcast. We'll review what has been uh, a tumultuous uh, month since we've heard from them uh, in May. Uh, Again, we'll also be here on Monday. Dr. Martin Kevorkian, uh, our list of films, The Hate You Give, Terminator Dark Fate, Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo, and Black Mirror striking vipers looking forward uh, hope the broadcast was worthy of your Saturday evening sobriety would be best you do not know are my narcotics coming from Anna Illinois no niggas allowed Whew. sobriety would be best we need our brain computer uh, to go about solving this problem so Man, let's do everything that we can to preserve our health and well-being. In addition to being sober, uh, man, it is dangerous on the plantation. Uh, If you got to go out and about, you know, for whatever it is, errands, work, children, that sort of thing. Totally understood. I would be strategic and very alert. Uh, If there's anything that happens on the road or what have you, as I said before, disengage distance uh, I'm not trying to follow this person we're not having any sort of exchange I in fact don't have anything to say get a photograph get that person's uh, vehicle information so that you can make a report if you so choose uh, and distance get away you ha- and again be thinking this person could be armed this person might have it in mind I want to kill a nigger today if it's a road situation 
disengage distance if you you know are a pedestrian because we heard some of those situations too get out of there as soon as it looks like somebody is trying to talk to you in an aggressive hostile manner get out of there uh, this is not a time where we are trying to be having a confrontation verbal or otherwise like I'm not trying to have you know some sort of long discourse uh, with a white person either or a non-white person uh, in, for that matter get out of there it is so dangerous uh, with everything that is happening right now once it looks like that type of situation is going down er, everything is done let's go home uh, let's get to the house immediately and we'll try it again whatever you know we were attempting to do that time has ceased too much danger to be taking chances if you gotta go out if you can't stay in be buckled up you are sober if you're driving you are not on the cell phone uh, just trying to do all the little things that we can to minimize contact with race soldiers badge or no you have to assume a lot of folks are armed dangerous times on the plantation would be a little bit reckless to not have that in mind that said creator we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy no name calling we ask that you help us remain patient with our self help us to get quality rest nourish ourselves so that we can be replenished under these extremely dangerous and toxic times remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately cow signing out thanks all for tuning in nigga you so brainwashed i'm a victim no brother problem. you're a victim i'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning shut up the man has programmed my conditioning mm-hmm. even my conditioning has been conditioned <laughs> lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.